Welcome back, everyone. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, and I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for nine years now and have two awesome kids. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And if you're interested today in just listening in, we do have our podcast available. And please don't forget to like and subscribe. Today, we've had multiple viewers, subscribers send us this video wanting us to talk about where Cody Brown was invited onto Mormon Discussions, which is a podcast and YouTube channel. And they were really surprised. A lot of people were really surprised that Cody was willing to talk Honestly, we haven't watched it yet because we want all of our reactions to be really sincere. So all I know is that it he's going to talk a little bit about, about polygamy and I think a little bit about Mormon doctrine and the fact that he came, Cody Brown came from the mainstream LDS church, which is what I was raised in. Exactly. Yeah. So we're excited to dive into this um, and react, like I said, very sincerely because we have not looked into this at all and what it's about, yeah. but being able to kind of give some insight on his answers, how they compare to the polygamy Sam was raised in, and then obviously I'm here for the LDS aspect of yes. this. Yes. So. Ever since we started our Fresh Eyes on Sister Wives, we've had a lot of people reach out about different things uh, regarding Sister Wives, in this case, Cody Brown, and so we're looking forward to seeing what he has to say in real time. Yeah, so... Here we go. We'll get started. And here's Cody Brown. Cody, how are you? Blessings. Excellent. Peace be unto you. Peace yeah, peace. I'm glad to see peace you, my friend. Um, just to, I wanted to give you a moment to kind of state the the areas we won't be going into tonight, and then we'll uh, we'll start asking some really good questions and uh, get to know you a lot better. Yeah, I I won't do any TLC spoilers. I'll discuss yeah. even that altogether very little, and um and I'll talk more to my experiences. Uh, as a church of the, uh, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and then my experiences as a fundamentalist Mormon outside of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, I love that. And we're, we're super grateful that you gave us some time today and uh, you and I know each other a little bit. We have a common friend and uh, I've had the chance to rub elbows with you and uh, just grateful for the chance to get to know you and to, for our audience to get to know you better. So super excited to Oops. I think he bumped a button again. Ooh. Here we go. Oh. There we go. Let's did try to see that. Yeah, we did. <laughs> oh yeah. Bill, my daughter worked for you. Uh, she considered you her direct manager. When she yeah. worked uh, uh, years ago, and uh, yep. she had we, a partner with you, together. so I love it. My compliments love it. to you. Yeah, I want to. I want to start off, uh, Cody, just talking a little bit about you know you're you're a reality, uh, you're a, a uh, you're on a reality TV show, and uh, I can't imagine putting your personal life up in front of cameras. And so you know when you guys are filming, you're just living your life, and the cameras are following you, you around and and filming you. Um, I'll maybe talk for a moment about how difficult it is to have you and your family in front of cameras and what that, how that plays out, what that does to, to a group of folks, good and bad, uh, I'm sure. Um, well, the effects, the desired effect almost happened. Uh, and to be fair, it actually did happen. So, holy cow. Um, in 2007, um, the, the story starts out like this. I stepped on a stage in a, uh, a demo reel for a talk show in New York City with seven, my seven oldest children and three wives that I had at that time. And I just felt like um, uh, there was a, an experience when I stepped on that stage to basically tell people about my life. It was as simple as this. I, I felt a sort of a sense of a calling. I felt like in absolute terms, this is what I'm supposed to do. It was a weird experience because I didn't know. And uh, two years later, I found myself in a reality show. And when I was trying to work to those ends with my family, we, I thought, had agreed as a family, and I believe this still that we had agreed as a family, even our kids, that in order to get a fair shake as a polygamist family, 
we would have to allow people into our homes. Um, we met a documentary filmmaker. He said he wanted to do a documentary. And I said, no way, man. If you can't farm us out to a network where we're going to be, you know, every Wednesday night on television, we ended up being in Sunday night, which is their big night. If we can't be there every night, let those people into our home and see us in our real and raw way, we'll never get there. My goal from the beginning was to free Mormon fundamentalists or polygamists in general to be able to live their lifestyle without the government or um, social uh, ostracization or mm -hmm. rejection or, or affecting their lives. And uh, we, it was a long time, there were other people involved, other people who helped us along this trail, other people who I think did as much as we did, just not as publicly. Uh, maybe there were people out there who did more than we did. And eventually for the state of Utah, polygamy was decriminalized, which was our goal, our, our partial goal. I actually had a desire that uh, the polygamy would eventually be legalized. Um, and years ago, maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I started talking about legitimacy. I had a feeling that if uh, a plural wife had legal rights to her husband the same way that a first wife did in marriage and stuff like that, that it would kind of clean up some of the messes that were being created in some of the sects uh, with underage marriage or even with some of the problems that they had. And, um, you know, that that was probably a naive place. I, I have a there's a very common statement in Mormon fundamentalism. When I was young, I had a lot of theories and no experience. Now that I'm old. I have no theories and a lot of experience. <laughs> I like that he says that because, well, it's funny that the older you get sometimes, or we always say the more you learn, the less you know. Right. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing he's saying with experience wise. Um, we've mentioned this before on our channel, but him saying this again, like legalizing the idea of legalizing polygamy in Utah and the fact that that might clean up some of the secondary messes because it is a tricky spot for Utah of whether or not like where's religious freedom and is anybody actually being harmed in the actual just act of polygamy? One man having multiple wives, is that the actual problem? Mm -hmm. And for the most part, the cons consensus is that that's not the problem. It's the right. fact that it has these secondary crimes that oftentimes come with it. Right. And a lot of what, well, a lot of what people know is the FLDS crimes. That's what everyone sees. That's what's been blasted over the news because of Warren Jeffs and what he did and all of that. But there's also, you'll hear from other people from different groups that also talk about these similar problems. Maybe not tax fraud, maybe, maybe but maybe not. I don't know for sure, but definitely problems when it comes to the man is in charge and the women have to obey. Yeah. And for whatever reason, that seems to go along with polygamy. And with that mentality, a lot of times, people will feel that they have all the power in the world, and that leads to other crimes down the road. Well, because absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? right? And yeah, when you have that, that sense of such a firm patriarchy, mm -hmm. and... You know, and it, the Browns are a good example of sometimes we watch their series and you see what happens when they try to not have a be patriarchy, when they try to say, oh, we're all making decisions together. I feel like polygamy is almost harder in the sense of just the polygamous relationship aspect if it's not a patriarchy. Because like mm -hmm. in your home, it wasn't a democracy. It was whatever your father said. And so while that is, can be oppressive to women, 
the actual running of the family can go smoother logistically than if you're trying to have four women and one man all make one decision together. We see how it worked out for Cody. Yeah, exactly. I mean, marriage is already compromising with one person that you love and trust and respect and Mm -hmm. trying to come up with solutions together just between two people is already huge and it can be tough sometimes, right? So I cannot imagine having a panel of spouses to have to do that. So anyway, um, mostly just wanted to comment on the fact that yes, it's a great idea to just make it so that it's completely legal but then mostly they're trying to avoid these secondary crimes. And like Sam said, the FLDS are not the only ones with problems. The Kingstons are in huge lawsuits right now. Um, Whether it's underage marriage doesn't mean that there weren't still forced marriages or arranged marriages in other groups. Well, and define forced, right? Or spiritual manipulated, yeah. Yeah, because you can say, oh no, they agreed to it. But if you're teaching them, for since the moment they're infants, that they really have no choice they have to agree or else god will smite them some some way or another yeah <laughs> right or that they'll the, lose their entire community like if you don't marry your cousin because this has happened outside the flds and other groups mm-hmm. if you don't marry your cousin if you don't keep the bloodline pure then right. you are not only losing like your eternal salvation but you're going to lose your community you lose mm-hmm. your job you get kicked out of the house there's right. all these other repercussions to standing up against what they want. That's where it gets tricky, is verbally they're saying, yay, I agree to this. Mentally, what are they actually thinking? What are they not willing to say or are afraid to say because of the way they were raised? So in all groups, uh, polygamous groups, you know, that's the big question. And that's where it's so tricky on whether or not it can be legal. Yep. Anyway. And so we... We accomplished part of the goal by decriminalizing plural marriage in Utah and kind of making it okay for fundamentalist Mormons or people in plural marriage to live more openly in that lifestyle. And that was our yeah. goal. But, but in the process of that, in the process of that, you're putting your, you know, your conflict anytime, you know, again, I have arguments with my wife. I have arguments with my children. Hmm. Uh, you put your conflict in front of the cameras. You put your embarrassing moments in front of the camera. You put the moments that you regret in front of the camera. Like, I wish I wouldn't have behaved this way or I wish I wouldn't have said that. Like, how hard is it to do that in Just front in of week. cameras where millions of people are watching? Uh, in the beginning, I was a little bit, I, I had a smile on my face. I was goofing off a lot. I was just trying to have fun with my family. Yeah. Uh, eventually, you have to just get serious about what's happening and the struggle that's what's ha- happening. And, and certainly, reality TV shit doesn't work if it's all Pollyanna. And uh, it boiled down to where there was a, a lot of conflict. And then it eventually became a point where what we're portraying on the show is almost perpetually conflict. Conflict is the essence of literature. If you don't have, uh, I think I learned in literature, English lit, that it was conflict between man and conflict between nature. Those are your two conflicts, whatever. And uh, our conflict between man, man versus man, um, was necessary, or it was, it was in the beginning, it was um, man versus society. Like our family was sort of taking on society, asking, begging, please, please, would you please give us recognition or at least acceptance and then um, and, and tolerance. But then eventually the conflict became conflict between us and and uh, uh that makes uh, great television it had to be hard though. it's it's hard on my heart the experience altogether has been heartbreaking very very challenging it'd be like uh, once or twice in an episode i'd do something i felt like was a little embarrassing sometimes it was quaint and cute even or whatever but then it got to the point where i was doing something embarrassing that i was totally ashamed of um i'm still a man of faith and so 
my prayers recently have been for Heavenly Father to help me um, stop doing things that I feel shame about um, because my habit and the reason and I think I've had a successful TV show is because the habit of the family has been to be frank and honest. Interesting. Yeah, I was like, we have to pause there. He's still a man of faith, he says. We've had different opinions about whether or not he still believes in his religion. Yeah, and also I feel like saying that you're a man of faith doesn't necessarily mean that you still prescribe to the same religion that you used to. Very true. Or um, we've talked to people who have left the FLDS or other religions, and a lot of times people say, like, I'm still a spiritual person, mm-hmm. right? Or I'm still a person of faith. I feel like is a is a common, I don't want to say buzzword, but it's a common way to kind of say, I might not believe the way I did before, but I still have faith. Because a lot of times when people leave high demand religions, it's easy to swing from this extreme over here to no belief in anything because you're so like, I don't want to say jaded, but so hurt or traumatized from religion in general that it's easy to just say, well, if this wasn't the truth, then nothing is true, right? right? And so typically within Mormonism in general, uh, mainstream Mormonism or fundamental Mormonism, I feel like people who decide to, to land somewhere in the middle and still have some kind of faith in whatever that is, mm. they make sure that they clarify that. It's important that they clarify that because so many people lose all faith. Right. I noticed he said, Heavenly Father. He said, I, I pray to Heavenly Father, which in my mind means that he still believes somewhat in the in the way he was raised as a mainstream LDS member and then also in the other religion that he subscribed to because heavenly father is very commonly used in all mormonism mm-hmm. uh, because it's in their mind a lot more respectful referring to him and looking at him as their their father their heavenly father and someone that they will return to someone that they are striving to become like and so they say Heavenly Father instead of God. So by him saying that, it makes me think he at least believes in similar beliefs to the way he was raised. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting growing up LDS. Yeah, you always refer to God as Heavenly Father. I even know some people, just recently I was visiting a, um, someone who's still a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the, the current mainstream LDS church. Mm-hmm. And they were like, they, they said, yeah, so-and-so said the G word. And I was like, the G word? And I kind of looked at them and I was like, did you mean like God? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, well, his name is not a swear word. Like I get not taking it in vain, but like up to the point where there are certain members of the LDS faith that won't even say the name God. Right. It's Heavenly Father. And Mm -hmm. then God to them is almost even saying it at all was in vain, which I was I was a little shocked by. And that's an extreme case. But I'm just saying that that's that's how uncommon it is to say God instead of right. Heavenly Father. It's oh, yes. Yes. And I mean, and you'll hear them use gosh as a substitute word for for mm-hmm. God, right? And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it does not. When they, when they want to swear, sometimes they'll, they'll say something like, gosh, dang it, right? That seems to be pretty common. Yeah. But, and that would be taking the Lord's name in vain if they were to actually say it like it is meant to be said in that instance. So that's why they don't. But, but yeah, it's interesting that even they'll, they'll use gosh sometimes when it just doesn't make any sense at all. No. So, but yeah. anyway, Heavenly Father is the way to refer to God for, for all of them. Yep. And we, we cross lines. And so it's like if I don't like something, there's a tendency for me to almost feel like I've got Tourette's where I'll say something that's just out of line because it 
triggers me. And frankly, I'm pretty sure this, this is my rationalization is it probably makes good television, but it's actually heartbreaking. And uh, um, whether I'm lashing out at the question of a fan or I'm lashing out at the behavior or um, interpreted behavior of a family member, um, or whether I, I uh, if I watch an episode, any when I was when our first five years, I watched the episodes with a smile on my face, even if I did something embarrassing. Now I I I, I almost cannot bear to watch the episodes without getting um, physically ill, and so it's it's become overall a very sad experience. Cody, you've been living all this out for I think fourteen years now in public with you, your family, your wives, your children. Is there anything that's happened? with your relationships with any of your family that has been caused or exacerbated, you think, by the presence of the film crew that might otherwise not have been so bad? I wouldn't say the presence. Mm. Well, um, <laughs> I have a love-hate <clears throat> relationship with our producer, and he has a great talent for antagonizing me, almost like a, a brother. <laughs> you know. And we, were, we had years where we were just deeply loyal to each other, but we would fight like family members. Um, and there was the effect of that because he was under pressure. He was under a lot of pressure. And as a result, that pressure would roll down onto me. And so he'd be like, I need your family to do this. I need your family to do that. And I was like, this isn't scripted. My family's just going to do whatever we want. Uh, so th those were challenging experiences. Um, but in the long run, the real issue was um, that we were um, having an experience. Uh, let, let's say me and a wife would have an experience or even me and one of my kids would have an experience that's being filmed. And then we'd have to talk about it later. And then we'd have to talk about it again and then again. And then it'd be used as a, either a, potentially a rerun or a flashback or something like that. And something that you would probably forget was said and that happened was in your face four or five times and put it, put it into your memory. And yeah, I can't imagine we about that. Yeah, we talked about that before. I can't imagine, <clears throat> excuse me, every little thing being said, because there are so many things just in everyday life. You know, someone says something and I'll quickly be like, or I'll say something to Sam sometimes be like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that as snarky as it sounded. And then we move on, right? Right. And forget about it. Yeah. You just move on. You forget. You forgive. You forget. And you have to forgive and forget in successful relationships all the time, right? right. Um, in every different aspect of it, like between us and our kids or each other. I can't imagine having to talk about every little detail over and over and over and over. Right. Like you said, rainbow <laughs> and sunshines doesn't sell. Right. Mm -hmm. When it comes to reality TV, they want the drama. They want the things that will keep them interested. And so it's very unfortunate. But I think, like Cody's saying here, that the producers looked for that one crazy thing. And so they might live a couple months, right? And then during that time, make one, say one thing that they regret saying. And that's the one thing the producer wants to blow up because, yeah. right? So I can't imagine how hard that would be. Not only for Cody, I mean, he's made a lot of those <laughs> things that I'm sure he regrets. Uh, but even the kids and the wives and things, I imagine there are so many things that they wish would just have never been shown. Yeah, for sure. And as a result, led to possibly some, some challenges. And so in the end, uh, you know, uh, there's been a lot that has happened and uh, some of it has been successful and some of it has been very, very sad. And I lay the blame, you know, <laughs> sorry, I don't wanna go down this road. Uh, the wise man, the, the fool blames everybody else, the wise man blames himself and the stoic says there's nothing to blame, it just is what happened. Mm. And um, 
I want to be stoic, but there's a lot of blame to be laid at my own feet about what has happened. And I think it's just a natural course of events. Him actually taking accountability for it because it feels like in the show he doesn't want to. Right. It's good I feel to like hear. They paint him all the time as like him not wanting to yeah, admit that he could ever do anything wrong. And it's always everybody else's lack of loyalty, right? He says that word so much. Even just barely. The producer and I, you know, he was very loyal to me. So it always seems like it comes to loyalty to Cody. So the fact that here he's saying, oh, it must have, you know, I'll try to say that there's no one to blame, but really, I right. think it's myself. No, it's good to hear that he actually will finally admit that, right? Mm -hmm. And his loyalty thing, you know, I, I kind of have my suspicions on where that all comes from. I think it started from way back, way back when, probably during the time that he transitioned from mainstream Mormonism to the um, AUB and lost a lot of friends and family at that point that probably stopped communicating with him or wanting a relationship with him. So he lost loyalty there. And then joining a religion that talks a lot about loyalty and how it's important for people to be loyal and follow their the man's instruction and guidance and all of that. So anyway, I can kind of see where that comes from, but he definitely talks about it a lot. A lot, yeah. So, so. But it's good to see that he's, in some sense of the word, manning up to accepting that he is not perfect in this instance. Yeah. And uh, where I thought we were doing so much benefit for plural marriage, um, we, we may have, in the end, done harm. In what way? Um. Well, I don't want to go into any spoilers, but um, the lifestyle we have. My sister once told me who's she's never been on the show. Um, uh, she is in plural marriage. And um, she told me once in the beginning, she said, you know, the problem with your show is, Cody, is you make it look easy. And it's not. Mm. Well, it doesn't look easy now. Yeah, that was in the beginning, right? Yeah, it was. For those in our audience. <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah, that's interesting that he, that he said his sister said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That lives in plural marriage, right? We recently um, had interviewed a man who just wrote a book, and he's probably—I think—he's the first man that we've interviewed that had more than one wife within the FLDS. And he said the same thing. He was like, "You know, people underestimate. It's not for most people. You have to have a very strong religious conviction and desiring it in righteousness." Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I was like, "Dang!" Like, and he and he said it's very hard to practice it properly. Right. And he was, you know, proud that his father had practiced it properly and he felt that he practiced it properly, but that it isn't easy. And it doesn't mean that just because you practice it properly either that it's going to work out. Yeah. And so. we've we've heard from uh, multiple people at this point that have tried the polygamous thing after no longer believing in the religion they were brought up in. And it mm -hmm. just completely destroyed the relationship. Yeah. So, and their families. And their families. Yeah. So <laughs> you're right. Yeah. You're right. The, the person we just interviewed uh, is so right when he says that it's so hard to maintain a good relationship in polygamy unless, like in the FLDS, you just don't have any choice. It's what you're required to do. It's what you believe in 100%, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. And even then, it doesn't make it good. It just makes it. It makes, makes the marriage last. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Audience who don't know your current situation, would you mind explaining it to everybody? Um, if they're watching the season now, um, which we are currently airing Sunday nights, I apologize on TLC at the wrong, I don't know the time, uh, cause it depends on your cable network, but Sunday nights on TLC, we are airing and the experience is very dramatic and, um, the family is not functioning together any longer. 
uh, not not the whole family. So uh, we have segmented or split split stories. Yeah. Um, and so I I film or I, I you'll see me talk with the wife, and it's kind of about our breakup. And and this has been ongoing. So I'm not giving any spoilers, but I'd rather let's get back to where we're not doing spoilers totally. or, or even totally. I don't want to walk that thin line about totally. spoilers. I have a job to do. Yep. So you've been on for 18 seasons. RFM pointed out 14 years. That's a long time. It's a long spot of life to to be on TV and to do a show. I mean, it's longer lasting than 99% of the TV shows that have been that have ever aired on television, right? How long was MASH on television? It was my favorite I show. No, I have no idea. <laughs> I think it was less than yours. Yeah, I think, I think it, was it was maybe 10, 11, possibly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't cool. know. Yeah, it's, it's a long time, but there's just this thing that this factor that is in it is we were in a very dramatic family. Um, it's, uh, I'm a very dramatic person. I have other dramatic family members, had <laughs> other dramatic family members. And um, I think that it just, sometimes it was interesting and sometimes it wasn't. And we had people who just tuned in because they thought it was fun to watch. And um, I just uh, had a contractor at my house talking about doing some repair work uh, on my electricity that has been gotten funny. And he watches the show. And I'm like, oh, gosh. He says, I know you, though. So I'm not holding any grudges. But on the other hand, I had one of my close friends call, uh, text me. She was a close friend that I worked with when we lived in Utah. And she texted me. And, and uh, uh, she, she sends me a book. And at the bottom of the book, she says, get your shit together. <laughs> so I can I say that word on the show. Yeah, you say anything then, you want. Oh, I can. Well, I'll be careful. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. and I'm like, I have to text back to her like, very patiently to say, you're seeing a portion, a teeny segment of my life, and you're usually seeing the most dramatic points. And I made the mistake once when my family was going through a partial breakup of yelling, at a, uh, or not yelling, but I was saying to my wife, well, I'm bringing back patriarchy. I'm going to be in charge, and you guys are going to do what I say. And I, I have a, a sister who's LDS, and it was the one scene in all 13 years of me being public, one scene that she saw. And at Christmas time, we were visiting, and she was chastising me for saying that. And I had to stand up and pace the room so I wouldn't lose it. <laughs> that she had been not loyal enough to ever check into the show, but then she chastises me for the one worst day of my life. Yeah. And that's kind of uh, one of the hard things about it is um, people are going to see you and judge you in many cases by the worst day of your life. And if it keeps people sober about plural marriage and polygamy, good. Because I think, sorry, I just have to comment on the LDS sister saying that too. It's well, one, we had just barely mentioned the fact that the patriarchy is part of being able to hold a polygamous family together, right? Mm -hmm. In most religions or most success, like you said, successful polygamous relationships, meaning that the families stay together in some form, you almost have to have a patriarchy behind it. Um, it is also funny that his LDS sister is so mad about that one because from mainstream Mormonism, even though there definitely is a patriarchy, like in the sense that... Um, like women cannot hold a priesthood. You cannot have um, like leadership positions in the church. You can, you can be over children or over other women, but a woman can never hold an authority position over men, if that makes sense. At the end of the day, there's always gonna be a man above you. So there's definitely still that patriarchy, right? However, growing up mainstream LDS, there's very much a lot of talk about being an equal partner with your spouse, right? right? It's this, you hold the priesthood, but I have these um, motherly, womanly gifts that are to complement the priesthood. It's still very much talked about um, as if you're still equal. And so I can see that really, that's something that growing up mainstream LDS, you kind of look down upon the FLDS in that sense. And you're like, that's not equal partnership or any polygamous families. Like that's patriarchy. That's not, 
right. how it's supposed to be run. And so we kind of turn a blind eye to our own patriarchy <laughs> and instead kind of condemn the patriarchy of our uh, polygamous the cousins. The more intense patriarchy, right? Yeah, as long yeah. as there's someone that does it like worse than you, then it like no longer is as bad. It's like, well, our patriarchy is nothing compared to you guys over there, so we're good. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I will have to say, uh, just to kind of give credit to some members of the FLDS Church, and I imagine it's the same for the the AUB, the All Red Group, the Kingston Group. I imagine it's the same for all of these groups. There were certain men that just didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Even though the church sort of told them that they had to be this king figure over their family, they didn't like it. And behind closed doors, they didn't stand for it. They let their wife have some decisions and have some say in the family. So I do have to give credit to those people that it just wasn't natural to them, even though it was what they were taught, they didn't stand for it. Yeah, 100%. I feel like within every religious group, you're going to have that, right? I'm not saying that there aren't LDS men that ran, you know, I'm the head of the house, so I'm the the priesthood holder of the home. So therefore, I I mean, so there's definitely extremes in every single group. So yes, that's a good point to give credit to. But there's always going to be those men, unfortunately, a lot of them, that like the power, like the ability to just make every final decision and have no one say or have no one else have a say in the matter. So unfortunately, that does happen. I think, like you said, probably one of the biggest distinctions, though, is whether or not that's coming from church leaders or if that's interpretation by the man themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where I guess I'm saying that the differences are. The FLDS leaders are saying you're supposed to be the man of the house, the patriarchy is supposed to exist in your home, and whether or not the man interprets that and does that is up to themselves. Where the the LDS leaders were very much talking about that you are supposed to be equal in the home and supposed to respect your wife and respect their decisions and stuff, even though the doctrine might have had patriarchy behind it as well. Right. So. Yeah. Because I do not want this to look easy because it's not. And people who have very, very powerfully convicted faith are the only people who should do this. And I'm telling you, um, the end result of of where we're at now with the struggle in plural marriage is the real reality of the struggle in plural marriage. And we weren't strong enough to manage it. That sacred, you guys have heard the book, the sacred loneliness. Well, sacred loneliness the book thing. and and there's a point where you might lose enough faith to go i don't want to spend the rest of my life in this kind of pain and uh, if, if god cannot manifest to me that this is the best thing for me then i i want out because it's that hard i i do wonder about oh, i'm just gonna say what is it that has caused the pain for you and are you saying that you feel you, like you've experienced personally the sacred loneliness that causes so much pain um well, if, listen, I'm not going to claim that I suffered the sacred loneliness. The sacred loneliness is a book referring to women in the 1800s um, who lived plural marriage. And uh, there's some journal, I think it's probably Pete Pratt's wife, is paste, or no, no. Yeah, I think, I don't, I don't have all my facts straight. I apologize. You're the this. polygamy expert here. No, I'm not. <laughs> so, you guys in research gets, gets more information about polygamy. I'm only an experienced polygamist who has no theories any longer. I am, um, probably <laughs> Pete Pratt's had a wife who was, I think he was out on a honeymoon or something, and she's pacing and writing in this journal about this destructive heartbreak. And there came a point where one of my wives, I wanted to put all my wives in one home. And we had a big design done. It cost me thousands of dollars uh, to have this design done. Beautiful home, uh, 16,000 square feet, I think. And uh, I don't remember all the details, but I had a wife who said, there's no way I'm ever going to live in that home as this family. And it sort of broke down plural marriage for me. I went, and so there's kind of a couple of theories. Plural marriage, the plague barn theory, I think um, in, uh, there's a little town south of St. George. Uh, and it's got a home of 
I've forgotten uh, more Mormon history than most Mormons will ever know. Um, and, and he had four wives in one home. Um, Bill, is it, it, down in Ivan's maybe like William Hamlin, the William Hamlin yes. home. <laughs> yes, uh. the William Hamlin home. Um, I think they're thinking the Jacob Hamlin that's, home. If that's the one I'm familiar with. Okay, the Jacob Hamlin home. If you ever are in St. George, Utah, you can go through Santa Clara and you can actually go visit and they give tours. Yeah. They give tours um, in Santa Clara for the Jacob Hamlin home. And then they also give tours of the Brigham Young home that is in St. George, Utah. So very, very interesting. If you have a chance to stop by and see, they have lots of old pictures um, talking about the wives that lived there because especially in Brigham Young's home, you know, he had wives in St. George when he was living up in Salt Lake. So he would like come down to visit his wives. But most of the time they were completely alone in the 1800s with children yeah. all on their own with farms trying to provide for themselves. It's intense. Talk like, about loneliness, right? Yeah. I so, don't know that I would call it sacred loneliness. That that is that term. Oh, I do not like doesn't that doesn't sit well with me. But but I get what they're trying to say because they're doing it for their religious belief, right? That's the only reason they're doing it. But it's still something about that. I just don't like the feeling. No, I don't like the feeling at all. I don't like the feeling that going back to the idea that in within Mormon doctrine that we call God heavenly father, right? Because he's supposed to be a loving heavenly father. So the idea that a loving heavenly father was thought that it was best or that it was necessary for us to be lonely to a point that we just have to remember that it's okay because it's somehow sacred for us to have these mm -hmm. sad, lonely emotions. That doesn't sound like a loving Heavenly Father to me. And it's frustrating that they use that as a term to try to manipulate right. what's happening, what's actually happening. Yeah, it's just, it reminds me of something my father told me that uh, he still believes in and follows Warren Jeffs at this point. And he told me at one point, I asked him, how, how can you stand for this? I mean, your, your family's being torn apart. You're dealing with all of this stuff that you're being required to do, forced to do. And it's just like, how are you keeping your spirits up and still going for this? And his response was, I have not suffered like job has suffered and until i have suffered like job has suffered the lord is testing me and i will remain faithful so that type of sacred loneliness yeah. reminds me of that type of those feelings that these very convicted really religious people are okay with it because they look at it as a test they look at it as god is testing me I will prove faithful. So that's kind of where that comes from. That's just a lot of suffering. It's a lot of suffering, a lot of sadness. And yeah, if you just, yeah, I think you might have to choose, if you're in that situation, you kind of have to choose that that's what Heavenly Father's wanting for you in order to survive it. Right. You know? If you do go happen to go down and visit some of these homes and you make your way to Brigham Young's home and take a tour, uh, you'll find out that uh, back in those days, uh, it seems that the people were a little smaller. <laughs> the home is small. Me, me at my average height, six like foot, the doors. Me at my average height at six foot four, average <laughs> height, right? I was ducking under a lot of things, and you know, I know it was Brigham Young's home, so obviously, obviously, he must have been shorter. But that also means that everyone in the home, living and dwelling, must have been a lot shorter too. So anyway, I find I found that interesting, just a, a random fact. Yeah, but definitely check it out if you're in St. George, Utah. And and he, uh, I uh, and and he had wives in that home. That's the pro marriage I wanted. Where if I come home from work, I see all my children every night, unless I'm out of town or, or gone on a trip with a wife. 
and her children or something. And I think plural marriage is much easier for women when they don't see their husband around that other woman so much, mm. where they got four homes maybe a mile apart uh, from each other rather than four homes in front of each other or one home. And when I did this design of the one home and I presented it to my family, I had a wife reject that and I started to dig into why. And I realized that in some ways my family was in, way, in the way of my goals in plural marriage. Um, and I, I, I got kind of, a, I got dark and um, cynical because I discovered that I was never going to be able to live plural marriage the way I wanted to live it. And I, I stopped believing that they were happy. My wives were happy in plural marriage. Now I'd had a family counselors and therapists who sit down with me and say, Hey, listen, your family's not going to be happier out of this family or your wives won't be happier out of this family than they are in it. But I began to not believe that either. So the family counselor, who's a contemporary monogamist, you know, was saying your family will not be, your wives will not be happier outside of this marriage than they are in it, which was, was good to know, but it, I didn't, I didn't believe it. And so I'm having trouble believing it too. Because it sounds like what you're saying is that the, this uh, counselor is saying that your wives will be as happy in a plural marriage relationship as in they the would be outside of family that we built together, uh, she is saying, so just to clarify, she was saying that my wives would be as happy as they can be in the plural marriage that we had built as a family mm -hmm. than they would be outside of it. In other words, if they, if I was, I was questioning the fairness of plural marriage, obviously it's, it seems there's a dichotomy of contradictions in plural marriage and um, you have to be able to endure those contradictions. And I found myself a little bit cynical, unable to endure those contradictions anymore because I had a wife that was extremely unhappy and I had another wife that I wasn't in love with. And so that was making us in the marriage extremely unhappy. It's a yeah. tough place to be. And, and, you know, if you believe the Pearl of Great Price where it says, uh, when I saw the noble and great ones, and there are many of them, and, and uh, as long as there was one energy, there was another entity that it was, it was, it was uh, more powerful than them or greater, greater is the word used in, in the Pearl of Great Price. And so there's just this, there's, there's a challenge that, that you cannot relax in that says you have to be better all the time, better and better and better. And I think that's really been detrimental to a lot of people who are LDS in any way is this, I have to be perfect. If I have to be perfect, then why did the Savior suffer on the cross? Okay, so there's quite a bit to unpack there. A little sneak peek into what he believes now, huh? Yeah, so before we even unpack anything, we need to clarify what the Pearl of Great Price is. For those of you who are like, what the heck is that? That is a book of scripture, a canon book of scripture within Mormonism. So um, within Mormonism, you believe in the Bible, um, Old Testament, New Testament, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and then the Pearl Probably. of Great Price. Which contains the Book of Abraham. The Book of Abraham. Okay. And the book of Abraham is when Joseph Smith started retranslating the Bible. He said that there were inaccuracies in the current version of the King James Bible. And so he started retranslating it and changing some things in it. So that's the Pearl of Great Price. It's at the end of every quad. I wish I had mine near me. <laughs> Mormon scripture, you have what's called a quad. And it has all of those different scriptures yeah. in it. But that's what he's referring to. So if you hear Pearl of Great Price, that's always modern revelation within mormonism right and i found it interesting that cody pointed out that 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 is a problem that belief of always having to become better and do better has been a problem has been detrimental to the mormonism belief and those that believe in it so that is in my mind anyway seems that cody is kind of stepping more towards christianity belief and it's kind of stepping away from some of those uh I guess, fundamental Mormon beliefs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when he says, why did Jesus die for us, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a question that I didn't even realize um, until Sam and, I, Sam and I went through our faith transition. I didn't realize what 
mainstream Christianity referred to as like what saved them and what was considered necessary for salvation and the differences between Mormonism, which we will not go into on this video because um, that's not what this video is about. But yeah, him questioning that as well and saying like, well, why did Christ die for us if it's our job to become perfect on this earth right. is definitely something that um, a lot of people within the mainstream LDS church, myself included, do have struggles with oh, and yeah. have to come to terms with or figure out a way to be able to balance those those two beliefs together. So. Yeah, and you'll hear people say something along the lines of, I'm, I know that I can never be perfect, but I'm going to try, right? Yeah, so that's, that's kind of the common. That's kind of the idea. I'm going to try every day to become perfect, and then I'll make a mistake, and I'll become perfect again, and then I'll make a mistake and become perfect again, right? So that idea of always striving to become as perfect as possible. Yeah, I distinctly remember... Being pretty young, I want to say it was like 12, 13 years old, and someone spoke in church and they were saying that like every time I sin, I remember that like I just used one of Christ's drops of blood mm. for that sin. And so that's why I tried to live my life perfectly because I don't want to use any of his drops of blood. And it stuck with me mm. so hard. At 12, 13 years old, I had this fear of like beyond just, okay, Christ is going to save me with his atoning blood, but this idea that I was personally hurting Jesus Christ every time that I did something wrong right. was a lot of pressure and mm -hmm. a lot of, yeah, the mental, the mental pressure of that, of feeling like I was directly responsible for his suffering instead of him doing it for humanity was, it was rough as a teenager. Some but. of the spiritual manipulation that was used by some people to make people feel so guilty if they ever did anything that was wrong in their minds or against the church beliefs. So, you know, it's just kind of the way it was, unfortunately. Definitely the way it was growing up in the FLDS. But I, as Cody said, it's in the Doctrine and Covenants, right? That right. we're supposed to be striving for Or the Pearl of Great Price. Or sorry, yeah. yeah, Pearl of Great Price. Yeah. He was perfect. I don't have to be. But in Mormonism, there's all this pressure to be perfect. And it's <laughs> yeah. and even Jesus says it, be ye therefore perfect, even as I and your heavenly father are perfect. Matthew Yeah. I, I want to ask a couple questions about polygamy. And I'm, I'm really speaking generally. I, I don't need you to get into the specifics necessarily of, of your family dynamic. But it occurs to me that like in your situation where you live like on a cul-de-sac and you've got all of your family there, um, it, it seems to me that as, a, as one husband is splitting his time among multiple wives, that inevitably what I think would happen, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what I think would happen is that those women would perceive that they get a limited amount of time with you, that they have to put on their best face. They, they don't want to be overly critical. They can't, they don't want to be the wife that nags. They don't want to, they don't want to um, be the wife that's looked at by everyone as being the one who's causing any sort of trouble. So they will feel a lot of pressure to put on the, the best appearance for the day that they've got you and, and in their communication with the rest of the family. And I imagine that the husband, and no knock on any of you guys, like this religious system commands you to do this and you did it. Um, but the other side of it is that for the man who is getting his time split up among all of these women, it seems as though there is some room to not, maybe not, at least especially as you said, like in the early parts, not be criticized, not, you could you almost get the best version, the happiest version of each of these women. And I'm just curious, like no. how that dynamic plays out. It, it just doesn't work. They, uh, sooner or later they're going to explode. Um, and um, so, um, you know, everybody gets in a bad place. And, it, and ironically, there, there's a, a woman who shares her husband has given so much that in the path to perfection, sometimes she might feel like that's enough. Um, I felt like I was constantly doing this dance where I was like, hey, are you okay? Are you happy? I want you to be happy. I'm just trying to make everybody happy all the time. And it's kind of like running around all the time trying to make, keep everybody happy. Um, and that was my job. And their job 
wasn't to keep me happy, even though, you know, as a smart woman, that's, that's going to work better for you. But they felt like they had given enough. Uh, and so, uh, uh, Oh, as a smart woman, if they, if his wives had just been smarter, they would have realized that being, keeping Cody happy should be their main goal. Oh my gosh. I'm not, I'm not, I don't like to call people liars necessarily, <laughs> but it seems that there's a little bit of lying going on here that Cody was always trying to make everyone else happy, but yet they weren't, they weren't in return trying, trying to, make to make it work happy. or make him happy. I just don't see that. And in all that we've seen in Sister Wives and the different things that we've seen, uh, the, uh, some of these people on Sister Wives talk about now, that was not the case. And he, yeah. he admitted, I was finally kind of agreeing with him when he admitted, <laughs> you know what, I made a lot of mistakes. A lot of this falls on my shoulders. But then he goes around and th now he says that, no, I was doing everything I could to make everyone happy. Uh, it was, I don't know what they were thinking. They had they, been smart. They, they would have been, been trying smart, to make me happy. They would, <laughs> it is interesting though. We just finished watching season three and I remember distinctly when Robin was saying that she makes sure that when Cody's coming over, she spends one-on-one -on -one time and they're reviewing pictures and they're doing this and they're doing that. She has no children with him yet, right? And she's like trying to make, it seemed like she was still trying to continue to date and grow the relationship, which is fantastic. But how that can compare to a marriage that's 15 years old with six or seven children in it, mm. you can't. There's no way that he could walk into a home with six kids and a wife he's been married to for 15 years who might be more blunt with him about their feelings and their emotions, which home is he going to feel more comfortable in? And we already, I mean, spoiler alert, we already know that he gravitates towards Robin, but that might've been a huge reason why. If he's yeah. feeling like, well, they need to please me too. Well, Robin's the only one who didn't have the 15 years, 15, 20 years of baggage beforehand and six kids in that is what a, like a marriage looks like at 15 or 20 years in. And instead there's this fresh marriage where she's only focusing on him and they don't have children together yet. And it's all this fresh new. Why wouldn't he gravitate towards that? Well, and you have to remember how long that is. 15 years, right? Was, was he married for to and 20 to marry by the first 20 season. to marry. Was he married to Christine for that long at that point? Yeah. I want to say, don't quote me on this. I know there's people who are going to have better numbers in the comment section, but <laughs> I think it was 20 for Mary. Like when the show started, it was 20 with Mary. And then it was like 17 with Janelle and 15 to Christine. Okay. Let's Janelle just. Janelle and Christine were close together. Uh huh. So let's just say 15. Yeah. Around that time. That's longer than they, than um, this entire show's been growing happening. up and plugging me, I almost said. <laughs> this is longer. <laughs> that was not a plug for us. This is longer than Sister Wives has been aired. Than they, the whole show has been. And look how much has happened in the time that the, that the show has been on. And then think of all of the experiences and the time spent together that Cody and his first three wives had. Exactly. And then... You know, like you said, and then a new wife comes in mm -hmm. and gives him a little bit more attention, you know, because she's trying to fit into the family and make make him happy. And so he automatically thinks that she's the only one that is loyal to him. Yeah, or cares, right? I can't believe he just said that on air. So, uh, Maybe he'll back out there's of it. Always, I don't remember mm -hmm. a time where I always, where I don't remember a very long time when all of my wives seemed like they were happy at the same time. Somebody was always off. And um, out of the five of us, somebody was always off, me or one of my wives. Sometimes two were off. Sometimes we, we were all a little off, but seldom were we all doing 
fantastic. Season 18, everybody's and, off. Uh, it was a big deal. The family, this big family picture, I think, gave us all a lot of the sense of, of accomplishment. We, we felt special. We worked together to be special, but there were always undertones of a struggle that was really hard. And um, so I understand it. And <laughs> this is why I, I struggle with my religion. I sometimes, you know, my brothers have a, a podcast they do and they call our church cult light <laughs> uh, because oh. um, <laughs> it, there's just no way that you feel like that this is healthy sometimes. And the requirement almost feels like beyond what people can accomplish. Now that's me in it having struggled so much um it, it's hard to look at polygamy and see people that are happy it really is <laughs> oh cult light that is funny i've never heard that Interesting. on our channel we don't like to use the word cult in general um for most things a lot of times we consider them more high demand religions than uh than cults so i feel like that was his brother's nice way of trying to say like cult light you're like you're not quite cult but you're not quite in religion because it's if you're forced to do things that are this hard in order to be saved in order to be able to get to heaven where's the line right and of course there's a lot of people that would say that a lot of churches are cults mm -hmm. right i mean it just depends on the way people go about it and Defining what cult. what they define as a cult because yes i mean i don't even refer to the flds as a cult Mm -mm. Uh, mainly out of respect for my family that still belongs to the church uh, because I know why they remain faithful. And I know that uh, as the truth comes out and as they are able to find out more information on their own, it does no good to force anyone. But as little bits and pieces come their way, I know that they will transition out, right? And so for respect for them, it's why I restrain myself from calling it a cult. Yeah, and everybody's definition of a cult is different. People yep. that do use that word, the first thing I always like to say whenever someone says like, oh, do you think it's a cult? Or do you think this is a cult? Do you think that's a cult? I always ask people now, well, what's your definition of a cult? Right. Because some people, like you said, any religion could be called a cult according to some people's definitions. I'm like, well, if you're calling that a cult, then this organization that you go and do this with would be considered a cult or this non-religious group would be considered a cult or every religion would be a cult. So certain societies could be considered like, a cult. It's a buzzword. Yeah, I feel like right. it's a buzzword to try to throw shade and say, I view this negatively that people are being manipulated in a way that I think is negative. So I'm going to call it a cult. It's such a, an interesting term that people use for so many different things that I just, I don't know. But cult light. That's and the first any, time I've heard that. <laughs> yes. And anyone that is in a religion and someone is referring to them as being in a cult, that is one of the like most disrespectful things they could hear because they're just trying to live the best life they can. So it's just tough. It's just tough. It's just tough. Yeah. I and think that's the crux of it is that it's a really hard lifestyle to live and that it's really difficult on everyone to the, to the effect that it is a sacred loneliness if you believe in it. If you believe it by faith... I had a friend one time uh, when I was complaining about the struggles, this disparity in polygamy. And I'm like, listen, this disparity in fairness in plural marriage is just too much. And he said, no, he's, he, he's a former polygamist uh, and he would be still if uh, he hadn't had a wife leave. He said, there is no disparity. In <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just that quote alone. Like he would still be a polygamist if his wife hadn't left. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning that it was so miserable that somebody else left it, which again, just speaks to the volumes of whether or not it's actually attainable anyway. So like let his head still like his head still in it but and he still would be if his wife hadn't left 
Sorry, that's too funny. In fairness, if there's not a disparity in choice, in other words, if that woman can choose to be in your family or out of your family, then there, there's no disparity. She chooses to be part of a plural family or she chooses not to be. Now, the problem is, is when you're choosing to be part of a plural family, you're usually young, you might not have children, you don't even know what it's like to live with that other woman. You That's don't even fair. know who you are, and That's you don't even fair. know who the people you're entering this yeah. group relationship with are. I mean, it, it, who knows that, you know, like, uh, you know, like, let's not count how many times any of us have been divorced, but anybody who's been divorced just goes, wait, I just didn't know that person. Or they changed. And, um, you know, you, you, when you're courting and you're dating somebody, it is absolutely best put forward. And my family got beautifully lucky for first few years of, of uh, our TV show because we were putting our best foot forward. We were trying really hard to be good, a good plural family. And, um, and it was a good honeymoon experience because we did, we worked hard to do it. And, but there's always the undertones. And here's the thing, when you're in a marriage um, and it's good marriage, you can mess up and you'll forgive each other. You, you got a husband and wife just going, yeah, we love each other. So baby, I'm sorry I did that, you know, and oh, I forgive you, you know, and that works. The minute you divorce or you're getting divorced or you're looking for a reason to divorce, <laughs> you forget to cover that sin with charity. And all of a sudden you want to tell everybody. And so what'll happen is when a couple divorce, they might've looked like they had a great marriage before, but once they're divorced, they're both telling you how awful the other person was because they're no longer willing to cover each other's mistakes with a cloak of charity. And, and uh, that's kind of the world I live in right now. And so it's, it's <laughs> retrospectively, there is a struggle and uh, a place where you get where you're like, wow, this was a, an experiment. And when I talk about cult light, nobody in plural marriage who's struggling tells you to be careful here or there. I married three women that I courted for four months, five months or less. I knew them maybe longer than that, but as far as a courtship, uh, uh, one courtship was for, for uh, five months, one courtship was for one month, and another courtship I think was for two months. My uh, fourth wife, we courted for 10 months, hmm. but nobody in our church told us kind of what we were getting into. So that's, that's why I'm thinking eh, kind of culty thought processes because there were tons of people who were either in the process of failing in plural marriage or or had failed in it, who were still promoting it in our church. Mm -hmm. But our church's main focus was probably plural marriage. I wish that it would have been more Christ-centered, but it really seemed to be sort of um, plural marriage-centered and then prophet-centered. We'd have these leaders, and like there, there was a couple of them that I don't think had, a, had anything but a spiritual disposition. They were not prophets by any means, and they were being quoted as though they were second to God. And <laughs> interesting. It's interesting that he says that it was cult-like in that right. sense. And it's funny because right before that, I was thinking the fact that um, the AB and these people where they do get to court and they get to pick and where he's saying that like within polygamy, it can be okay if the woman has the option, right? And that's another reason why they look down on the FLDS because women don't have options because it is arranged yeah. marriages, right? Um, but the fact that he said it's kind of culty because people know that it is super tough and everybody's putting on this brave face like it's the only way and it's perfect and this is what you need to do and really everybody else's marriages are falling apart and no one's willing to warn like the next generation like you know what maybe you don't want to do this but we do see lots of children that are leaving like in droves saying we see what our parents went through and there's no way even the brown children yep right like not interested nobody was yeah. interested um except for their oldest who now leon and is obviously not interested in the religion or anything to do with that society at all. Right. And so it's very interesting to see that at least the children are seeing, and if slowly children can come out of it, that's up to this point, most of plural marriage just created a lot more children to be in plural marriage, right? Like it was definitely through um, births. They're not going out proselyting, convincing other people to be polygamous for the most part. Obviously, Cody was a convert, but that's right. more there rare. Are, yeah, there are some converts. 
it's interesting as well that he's he mentioned that in his used to be church that they would focus a lot on polygamy and the prophet which was exactly the way i felt in the flds church i think the reason they focus so much on polygamy is because that is the main thing that sets them apart of all other or most other religions so they focus on the importance of that and why that must be and why it's a commandment of god and all of that and then of course they have to focus on the prophet because the prophet is the one that stands behind that belief it is coming from him and he's claiming to talk to god and anyway so it definitely sounded familiar to me when he pointed that out. Yeah, and I mean, all of Mormonism at its roots, it's a restorationalist church, meaning that Joseph Smith said that he restored the true church of Jesus Christ onto the earth directly from Jesus Christ and his apostles, okay? All of the power and authority from from Christ and his apostles directly down onto the head of Joseph Smith. And so when you believe that it's a restoration of Christ church itself, you have to have a living prophet. That's kind of the whole point. That's what distinguishes. And so while obviously Christianity and Jesus Christ being a center point is important as well, um, it is still the church of Jesus Christ, right? Of Latter-day Saints. At the end of the day, we are supposed to be hearing modern things from Jesus Christ through the mouth of a prophet. Right. And that is what's supposed to make all Mormonism special and different than the rest of the world and the rest of the religions in the world. So I think it it's almost impossible to separate and get rid of like the idea of the importance of a prophet away from any church that is branched away from mainstream Mormonism. Right. And we know that there are some that, that do have different types of leadership like the the community just over the hill from the flds community the centennial mm-hmm. park group they don't have a single prophet they have a brotherhood so there have been some that saw that it wasn't working in a certain religion and so they changed it up to make it different in theirs but it's just so interesting that they all claim to have the truth not only the truth but they all claim to have the only truth which mm-hmm. is just so I don't know. It, it doesn't sit well with me at this point. Of course, I used to believe in it. But at this point, to claim you have the only truth and the rest of the billions of people in the world don't, you know, that's just an interesting uh, perspective, I guess. Just discrepancies. Cody, can I ask you a question and get your take on it? Uh, you are a man. You want to ask yes. me a question? Come on, buddy. <laughs> ask it. Oh, and I have a few more later. But you've raised oh. this in my mind by what you said, which is you're a man now who has lots of experience very little theories and the way you're describing your situation what i'm taking from it is that you have done what you believed in your heart was something that you were supposed to do that you have uh, done everything you could to make it work it has not worked if i can just summarize it in that way not the way that you would hope it would uh, yeah sure okay oh, that's my question but hopefully uh, i remember it go ahead i know for a fact that i did not do all i possibly could are you under an illusion that if you'd done more yeah the circumstances uh, well, I- now would be different it's, it's tough to say because um, yeah. I had a recent discussion with um, my uh, my wife. Under the delusion. And, and I said, <laughs> if we wouldn't have this breakup happen over this past three years, it would be starting today. Um, that's still very cynical. But I do know that if I had done things different, maybe seven or eight years ago, mm-hmm. possibly. But you know what? I don't know. And, and to be really honest with you, I don't know the answer because I had a goal to have the family in the plague barn. <laughs> that's a joke. In the one home theory. Or, or the cul-de-sac theory where the homes are close together. And I think that might have been part of the problem. Is like if I get a um, – Mark Twain once, once made a joke uh, about Brigham Young and all of his wives, and he said the minute he buys one wife a brooch, he has to buy 40 of them. Or I think at that time Brigham Young was admitting to 18 wives or something. He has to buy 17 more. 
Yeah. He's like, we can't do anything without having the jealousy roll, roll through. And Mark Twain and Samuel Clemens was very astute. He was very wise about this idea. Brigham Young was a genius about how he managed it, but he was a tyrant and a king. Samuel Clemens saw it and went, uh, how does this work? This has got to be impossible. So yeah. I'm sorry that I, I inter interjected that, but finish your question. No, the, that, that comment plays into the second part of my question, which is that the way you're describing it, it does seem impossible. It does seem beyond human ability uh, to make a success out of this uh, polygamous relationship. And I'm wondering, is that where you have come down as of this point in your life, that it is something that really is mission impossible? Or do you no. still think that if it were done differently or in some other way, um, that it could be a success? I know minimum of five men right now uh, who are still very successful at it. Um, they're, they're around my age, maybe a little bit younger, so there's still time for a failure. But they're doing a good job with it. Their family is still whole. They just have enough faith in the, let's say, Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants. They have enough belief in that, that their faith in God and the principle of plural marriage is sustaining them through the difficulty. That's still supposition. I don't know, but I know people who are successful at it, and I've known polygamists who are successful at it until their death. My dad's family was not necessarily happy, but my dad died with three wives. And but Okay, I was before he even just said that last statement, that's what I was going to say. It's very interesting that the way that he defines successful marriage is that their family is whole. They're still together. I was like, never once does he mention happiness. And then here he says, my dad, you know, their family wasn't happy, but he died with three wives. Yeah. And that's what's important. And that's just such a sad view on life, I feel like. The idea that marriage is to be endured yeah. instead of enjoyed, that you're not meant to be happy in your marriage and your family. I mean, your family is everything, right? Right. And yeah, so I wouldn't call a polygamous marriage successful. He said he knows a minimum of five guys. <laughs> five that, people in the whole world have yeah. successful polygamous marriages. And he calls it successful because they're together, right? Yeah. Are they happy? That's the question. And once again, if they're not happy, are they willing to admit that? I feel like it comes down to the only way to make the polygamous marriage work, and I'm not saying make it happy, but make it work, is you have to have a man that takes charge of everything. The women have to be obedient. They have to follow. That is that. And they have to be okay with that. That's mostly what I saw in the FLDS church. And that still puts success at the level of keeping the family together and whole, not happy. Right. Well, it's interesting because there comes a point where if a woman believes it wholeheartedly and strongly enough, they at least come off as happy. They, they, are, they at least seem to be happy. Now, did I ever go to one of my mothers and say, um, so I know you, you seem great and happy and all, but like, are you actually happy? I never did that. Maybe <laughs> I should have. They don't have that insight. But, but I never did see that. I think the only other way to make a polygamous marriage last and work is to have a man, if, if you're going to, in like some of these other religious groups, let the, the wives have an opinion. <laughs> you... you <laughs> Sorry, if just, just, if you would dare do such a just thing, just stating the facts here, okay. like like Cody, he allowed them to have a, their opinions. Oh my word! If you're going to go that route, then you have to be a guy that is willing to go with the flow. You have to be willing to do what is needed and do it against your own. What's the word? your own will, your own way of doing things. You have to be able to mold yourself to to work with these different lifestyles. You as, you as the man need sacred um, 
sacred unhappiness, basically. Like <laughs> yes. you have to be willing to be unhappy yourself at the sacrifice of you. I still do not think that would work. Not a single chance. I don't think if you have women who feel any sense of independence or freedom or there's no way that you're going to be happy with a man who never is going to stand up for you, never going to stand up for your relationship, never going to offer you anything in that way. I still don't think it would work. I don't think there's a chance. I think the only way is tyranny. And I am willing to bet that no matter how many women you think look happy from the outside, I'm still willing to bet that they're not happy. So again, success would have to come down to what Cody's saying, where the only way for a successful, a successful Hmm. is the idea of keeping a family whole. Yeah. And not not ever having a goal of happiness. Not that you can have happy moments. I'm not saying that at all. But actually having happiness, contentness. I think most of life is content more than yeah. happy. Yeah, no, you're right. And that even happens in a lot of monogamous marriages as well. It's mm-hmm. contentment and, you know what, no, I'm fine, I'm good. And so, unfortunately, you hear that a lot. But, yeah, I don't know. There's, I mean, because there's so many polygamous marriages out there. And there's even some that, from the FLDS, for example, that's what I'm mostly familiar with, where the wives were split away from, were taken away from their husbands because Warren Jeffs forced them to do that. And in some instances, these wives wish they could go back. They wish they could have their husband back and their and their sister wives back. So it makes me think that there must have been something going on there. Maybe it was just their spiritual, religious conviction of the truth that makes them feel they need that. But even though now they are quote-unquote free from it all and now they can go live their own lives the way they choose they still wish in some at least some of them have mentioned that they could go back and have their old life back yeah i think you're comparing a little bit of apples to oranges though because if you're saying like just because someone hates being ostracized and thrown out of a religion and that's miserable doesn't mean that what they want back wasn't still unhappy you know what I mean? Like, okay, if I was just content here or barely hanging on, I wasn't happy. But w- being thrown out of your community and having everything taken away and your, all your family and your children and your spouse all taken away is so miserable. Yes, of course you'd cling back for just okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe we'll have to have someone on that was in that situation yeah. and see what their what their thoughts are on that. Maybe that's on the, a good interview opportunity coming up yeah was it the plural marriage that they were happy with or do they just want to be back with their spouse and their kids and hmm. or do, maybe both well, and maybe i guess, I guess we'll and maybe find they'll out. never know too yeah. because how can you compare something you've never experienced right yeah that was a long digression on that sorry guys <laughs> but he didn't start his polygamy until he was nearly my age I ended- now, I guess that there was some time ago at the beginning of this, the beginning of the TV program, when other people would have looked at you and thought that you were a success. And you may have thought you were a success yourself at the time. Oh, I, I thought I was a total success. I have a diesel jeans model coming into my family in uh, 2010, and I thought that was the biggest validation. She had other people in our church interested in her. She could have, she had propos- or offers from other people to marry her, and she absolutely believed in plural marriage, and she absolutely believed in me. She believed in her faith, and she came into our family with, with great hopes um, that um, in her mind now, I don't want to speak for her because she's not here and I don't want her to have, have to be interviewed, but I believe that she feels like she was naive. Um, she's almost embarrassed by how naive she was when she came in our family. No, she's not opposed to the lifestyle. She, she, she always pushed me to fix things. I had a wife who kicked me out of the house and she says, you go sleep on that couch. You get in her face. You tell her you love her. You get back with her. I'm like, I'm not doing that. That's a walk of shame. 
I'm like, she can ask me to come back. And she was always supportive of the relationship. She wanted me to push to have it go through, but she wasn't ready to see it dissolve. And I think I just came to a point where I was like cynical enough to go, this is, this is going, I came to the point where I felt like, like the lifestyle was going to kill me. Yeah. I'm just curious if you had to do it all over again, would you do polygamy all over again? Or was it, was it so detrimental to whatever that you would go like, man, if I do it over again, knowing what I know now, I, I wouldn't touch polygamy with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> I, listen, I got these beautiful kids out of this yeah. situation, you know, I mean, I can't help. Here's the thing. I was going through some dark times in the past three years uh, as, as, our, as our family began to unravel. And I was going, yeah, I wish I'd never done this. But you go a little bit farther into it and you're like, wait a second, if I'd never done this, I wouldn't have her. I wouldn't have them. I wouldn't have him. I, uh, my kids. Yeah, I just yeah. that that's an impossible question. And it's a paradox. And I think plural marriage is a paradox. Because listen, if you're asking me, is plural marriage or polygamy good for society? I'm going to tell you it has to be. And because you're never going to stop it. And the reason you're never going to stop it is because there's two things going on. Men are polygynous. We want to have one more woman, no matter how programmed we are for monogamy. Wow. And women are. Um... Wait, okay, no I disagree. How pro- I totally disagree here. Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, well, I mean, okay, yes, there, it's going to be, like he says, possibly impossible to stop because there's always going to be the belief that it is needed or that maybe there are a lot of men that want another woman. But. I don't know. I I can't imagine being married to more than one wife. Like it just it it wouldn't bring me happiness. I don't think I would be able to do it successfully. I don't I have no desire to have a second wife. So I don't understand why he would say that. Um, I think he means not even just wife that like even men who are in a monogamous relationship you still have some kind of deep but that's desire not, to But be that's with not polyg- woman. that's not polygamy though. Yeah, but I think he's saying since you're naturally you naturally desire to have more than one woman, mm-hmm. then that can lead to polygamy. Right. Okay. I, I can see that, but I, I can't see the marrying multiple women for a religious belief and, and you know, every man is going to have that want. Yeah, that's what, I was gonna, that's what I was going to ask you. I'm like, so do you think that men just naturally can never be happy in a monogamous relationship? No, I think men definitely can be happy in a monogamous relationship, for, okay. for sure. That, that's why I disagree with him. I think that in like right now, I am perfectly happy and can't imagine having it any other way. That's why I disagree with him saying that. What's the word? Um, it's a word that slipped in my mind where she wants a better man than the man she's got. Um, you guys would know the word. Um, and so they're looking His for a better face. man. And so Do you're we? always going, as long as you have hypergamy, that's the word. As long as you have polygamy, you'll have hypergamy. And as long as you have hypergamy, you're going to have polygamy. I didn't know <laughs> the word hypergamy. We learned something um, tonight. Uh, and I don't want to get into this because it's a very sexist word. Um, but, you know, everybody makes jokes about men and their wandering eyes. You know, everybody makes a joke about that. And the strongest monogamous still go hubba hubba when a good looking woman goes by. There's still a, a biological nature. And it's, it's all been proven out, uh, as, as far as I can tell accurately, by modern... Um, uh, uh, modern evolutionary psychology. Yeah, yeah there's like, certainly truth to that. Yeah, as, as long as this woman, as long as there's a woman out here who radio free Mormon uh, space right now, man, this married man is going to <laughs> want polygamy. Um, I, I can't get away from it there because nature endorses it, and I'm not going against the book, the Doctrine and Covenants, in section 132. I've had three years of hell uh, as I've unraveled my polygamy, but I still support those people trying to do it. And um, I, but I think people, the one crazy thing is you have to enter it um, in freedom, in choice and with wisdom and the fact that he says too sorry just going back to the the desire that everybody has and saying that oh women too they're always looking for a better man it's just not true it's not true maybe, like maybe women that 
don't feel that they have a good man. Maybe they are. Yeah, and maybe that's, yeah, I'm not saying that that's not true. Like, but the idea that women who are in a happy marriage could somehow be like, oh, but maybe I could get, that's not a thought in a healthy monogamous. If you're in a healthy monogamous relationship, that is not a thought. And there's also a huge difference between seeing an attractive person and saying that person's an attractive person Mm -hmm. and saying that person's attractive, maybe I should try and go sleep with them. (laughs) You know, that to me is like the difference. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like those are not the same things. Recognizing attractiveness and having desires to go and mate with them is, is two separate things. And yeah. Yeah, I don't. Just very, he makes it sound so very animalistic. Like, yes. like we somehow are not above any other animal that's just gonna mm-hmm. go and that we don't have any type of human nature. Yeah, he's basically saying that cheating is okay because it's natural. You know, and that's just, I feel like, Or instead of cheating, then you would just become polygamous because what you really want to do is cheat. Right. You want to cheat. So therefore, polygamous is the the next option, which... Goes against everything spiritually. So silly. But yeah, I don't don't agree at all with what he's saying right here. I do. Yes. I mean, people recognize a beautiful person or, you know, whatever. That perfectly human nature. Yes, for sure. Uh, But there's, I would hope that humans in society today has enough strength to control their minds to like you said okay just because this is a good looking person maybe i need to give mine away and marry a different person because this person's now better you know like i'm gonna trade mine in for a better one so So, yeah that just doesn't make sense there's a lot of pressure from religion to make you feel like hey i've got to do this or that that's what i wanted to ask you cody that's what i wanted to ask you because that's the overlay and i know bill has a a question he got from a listener that he'll approach you about when he thinks the time is right but but this whole idea about the freedom to choose. Do I understand it correctly that the religious belief based on 132, and it was in early Mormonism, you know, it isn't anymore. And I mean that in the official Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, exactly. with uh, Russell M. Nelson being the president of that church. Um, Prophets here in Revelator too, are they? Oh, yes. Yes, thank you. Um, do you believe, or have you believed, that entering into a polygamous relationship for the man and the women is something that is necessary for exaltation? And if um, so, does that enter into the equation of affecting the freedom of choice of those involved? Good question. Okay, so let's go back to this. Mm-hmm. You have to determine with that whether or not Joseph Smith was a prophet or Brigham Young or whoever invented. Because there's there's some theories out there that it wasn't even Joseph Smith who invented. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we're, we're crystal clear on those other theories. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. So let's go back and let's just assume that Joseph Smith actually verbally repeated over and over Section 132 and he had this magnificent experience and that it actually happened. And I'm not saying it didn't. I'm saying I wasn't there and I don't know. And there's so many people who are part of a faith. And I was part of a faith that for me, in so many ways, was fabulous and wonderful. And it brought me to this point that I now, with all these beautiful children, with all this life experience, that I can look back on with the right attitude, I'm really glad I did this with the right attitude. But you're, you know, you're talking to a guy who's been humbled through three years of hell and, and now he's gone, oh gosh, you know what? This was hard this three years, but man, didn't we do something really cool? So uh, no, I'm not going on section 132. Uh, I'm not going on Joseph Smith about plural marriage. I'm saying nature backs this and I don't wanna get weird about it. Um, and maybe Christianity backs only monogamy. And I can support that. The issue for any of these relationships, for His any face. relationship, I think, in society is choice. I'm talking to you guys because I chose to. Bill, you and I are buddies because we choose to be, or we're not buddies because we don't choose to be. Husband and wife get married, and our culture, modern Christian America, from sometime around 17-whatever, or Plymouth Rock, 16-whatever, we've been this monogamous culture that says a husband and wife. Well, you know what really sucks is if you marry the wrong person and you can't get out of that mess. Or if you marry the right person, they change drastically and you can't get out of that mess. 
modern society right now, you know, men and women can make the same amount of money. You don't need to be behind a plow. So you don't need a lot of muscle to be very, very successful in modern society. So men, men and women, sadly, don't need each other. Considering myself still Christian with an open mind, I'm like going, yeah, Jesus says the man isn't without the woman, the woman isn't without the man, but having been divorced, I'm like going, wow, I don't want to keep that woman in this mess with me, and I sure as hell don't want to be in that mess with her. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 11, 11. But by the way, Cody, am I sensing from you that you are somewhat ambivalent now on whether you believe section 132 was actually a revelation to Joseph Smith from God? I wasn't there. That sounds ambivalent. <laughs> it is ambivalence. Um, uh, I got so many friends that are LDS and very devoted to it. I have more friends who are ex-LDS and have a lot of criticism for it. And I'm going, you know what, pick your medicine, you know, because these things, if they lead you to enlightenment and blessings, and I've got, I got a dear friend who would have been a piece of doo-doo if he wouldn't have been just buried in Mormonism. Mormonism gave him so much goodness. And I, I have the deepest respect for him, what he's done with his family and everything. But I'm convinced it is because he chose to be a good Mormon, a good Latter-day Saint, you know? And, and so I'm like, uh, what ends well, all is well that ends well. Okay. Sorry, one thing I just have to say, I know it was like a couple seconds back, but I was just finding a place to pause. But the fact that Cody is now saying that his polygamy, does he realize how, I don't want to say like how bad that makes him look, but like when you see a polygamist and it's for religious reasons, at least you can say, okay, they're doing it for religious reasons. These aren't sex hungry men that just want more women. And Cody's basically admitting and saying, yeah, I don't believe the religious aspect of it anymore. I think it's just a it's just natural, nature. it's just a nature thing, which is basically him saying like that if he continued to practice polygamy, it would be because he's a sex hungry man that can't help it. Am well, I understanding that right? Like, well, it almost makes him sound like the reason that he got into polygamy wasn't so much about the religion. Yeah, he didn't answer that really clearly because I think Radio Free Mormon was really trying to ask that like you got into this for religious reasons. Do you still believe in it religiously? And he very clearly said he doesn't believe in it religiously anymore. But if he didn't get into it for the religion to begin with, then... And maybe he convinced himself it was the religion. But if he so fully believes that it's just nature at this point, <sighs> does was it really about the religion to begin with at all? Or was it just that he desired more women? And then is he just a con man to all of those women who are doing it for spiritual reasons? Yeah, and how much of spiritual and, manipulation and maybe, is that? If you think you're marrying a man who's doing it in righteousness and for spiritual reasons, and then it turns out that he's just doing it because he thinks she's just an animal who has no self-control. See, <laughs> and, and maybe that's an underlying reason to some of these some of these hardships and breakups and things that are happening. It's hard to know, you know, how he how someone would react if it was just for the na natural desires, as he would say, mm -hmm. or if it was for religion. Because based on my experience in the FLDS, it was all about religion because you couldn't go choose another wife. It was give another wife was given to you by the prophet if you were found worthy. Therefore, let's say you have a first wife, you're giving us given a second wife. Your first wife is looking at you very proudly because you are now a very worthy even more worthy man in her eyes she, therefore she feels that she married into a very great family married a, a good man a good priesthood man that is following all the rules and that will guide her back to heaven that's kind of the idea behind it so you know maybe you marry a man for those reasons and then you find out later that, no, he's just married me because of his natural desires. <laughs> What's that yeah. going to do to a marriage? I will say, too, since we did just recently watch the seasons from the beginning, maybe 
here, I'll try to give Cody the benefit of the doubt. You ready for this? Okay, good job. Good job. Um, I think <laughs> maybe he misspoke in this sense where he's talking about how he feels now, but it's pretty clear in the early seasons that it is a religious choice. He makes that very clear. He's teaching Sunday school to his family. They're going to church. They're having all these things. So it does seem clear in the beginning seasons that it is a very religious choice for polygamy. The fact that he doesn't believe it now, moving forward, though, if he does end up continuing to practice polygamy in the future, red flags, red flags. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I maybe he does. I can't imagine him trying to at this point after the way things have turned out, but you're right. If, I hope they ask him. I hope they ask him, and I'm really just here for Radio Free Mormon's faces at Cody as he speaks because <laughs> that's the best part it's, of this it's whole funny thing to so watch. far. <laughs> And, you know, there might be people going to their grave and it's just a dirt nap and, and well, they're not even going to be surprised because they won't care if they're not resurrected. But um, I almost am, is it, uh, it's not Occam's Razor, it's Pascal's Wager. Pascal's Wager says, was my life good being a good, honest Christian and, and living the gospel? Yeah. So I'd rather live the gospel at the risk that it's all a lie and have this great gospel-oriented life than to not. And so I look at it and I've been through some fires, you know, emotionally and stuff like that. And I don't like the pressure that is put on by church leaders and by church neighbors, God, nothing worse than having a good Latter-day Saint as your neighbor if you're a mediocre Latter-day Saint, you know? It's just, it's just hell. He's not wrong. Or being a good fundamentalist Mormon, trying to keep your family together while you're being judged by another better-than-you Mormon fundamentalist, you know? I, the pressure from the culture comes in so much that it doesn't seem very redeeming. And I'd rather just hang my hat on, on the Messiah, Jesus, and go, hey, salvation through Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think a lot of Mormon fundamentalists would say, well, that's the easy way out. I'm like, whatever, dude, I'm broken. I'm a broken person. And I need to That's what Jesus said, that this is supposed to be the easy way out. Take upon you my yoke, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I thought that was what Jesus said. You, you know what? You're, Amen. You're, you're convincing me. You know, Can I ask one more question, I, Bill? Go ahead. I apologize. If I answered that question right, then, then keep going. Okay, Cody, uh, I talked to you on the phone for approaching an hour last Monday because I like to talk to guests before they come on the show. I'd never uh, spoken with you. I'd certainly seen the program a couple of times, so I'm far from being an expert on the series. <clears throat> and you never heard of me. But you went out of your way in your busy schedule to text back and forth, and you remember what happened. I'm just letting the audience know. And we, it wouldn't work in the morning. Notes, like the yeah, it was till the afternoon. And then you know I called, and then you said 10 more minutes. But you were very responsive. Oh, I remember you texted me in the morning and saying that you were going to be working on the television set this after yeah, that, yeah. that day. And then I texted you back and said, I think that when you say you're working on the television set, it means something different than if I said it. <laughs> and so we finally, we finally contacted with each other. We had this very nice, pleasant conversation. You were very engaging. And um, I bring up all this background material. You don't know me, but I out of respect for your time, I at least three times tried to terminate that phone conversation. You must have been aware of that. And yet you kept going. Now, it wasn't just you talking about yourself. I mentioned something about my family. You had something to share. You and my daughter who doesn't speak to me. me. Yeah. yeah, and my yeah, daughter who doesn't speak story. to me. I also talked yeah. about, I know that you're going through a rough patch because I read People Magazine online about the fact that you're down to one wife, apparently, and that the other three have uh, flown the coop or whatever it is they've done in the last three years or so. And you're down to Robin with a Y, and she's the most recent of your wives. And so you've been through, I think you said three divorces in three years. And I said, yeah, I've been through yeah, two divorces and a failed uh, engagement as well. But you expressed an interest in what I had to say. And I kept trying to stop it because this, the story kept becoming more and more elaborate. And I was aware of this fact. I, I remember you kept going, oh, gosh, there's more. This needs more background. Hold I know. Hold, it needs more background. Otherwise, you can't understand it. more background. Oh, oh sorry, not beer. Uh, hold my soda. <laughs> my, my experience with you, by the way, and then finally, when you, when you got off, the call it was because you said you had to go to a meeting and i realized that you had given me all the time that you had between this engagement and this engagement and i just thought what a nice nice fellow and now i'm becoming aware of the fact that you seem oh, to be a lightning rod for negative criticism if there's such a thing as positive criticism but very very negative comments from a myriad of people and i'm a little bit at a loss but that's because i don't know do you know why that is why do you think that is i know exactly why that is 
Because um, the comments he says. <laughs> the only way I had credibility when I came out public as a polygamist was because my wives were backing me up, saying I was a great guy and that we were worth it together as a family and that I was a good father and husband, yada, yada, yada. All my sins were covered by a cloak of charity from these ladies. When they left or I left or whatever, our breakup happened. Now, all of a sudden, we no longer cover each other's sins with a cloak of charity. And my public persona has become what I would consider personally that I'm the heel of the show. Um, unfairly, I think Robin, my, my current wife, um, my only wife now has become the heel of the show also because of the, for the same reason, from the very beginning, um, the first season ends with Rob and I getting, having a wedding and going on a honeymoon. While I'm on my honeymoon, that sacred loneliness that my first three wives had oh, was, um, <laughs> invited out by our experience being public where they had always had other women they associated with that we kind of complained to each other. They never had a public venue to say, I'm jealous that he's gone on a honeymoon. While my fourth wife and I were gone on a honeymoon, a honeymoon that my other wives all got, um, they criticized that and I think established, um, I don't even know, this is just from my perspective. I don't know how this happened, but a criticism of her. And I think for years, she may have been a heel of the show. Absolutely the kindest woman, um, little shy with boundaries, but um, I think trash talking from other people, um, the people who used to sing my praises and trash talking from these same people towards my fourth wife uh, kind of did some damage. And the public, you know, like if you, both of you should go back, just watch every episode from the beginning to the end. And then the two of you just tell me, you see anything? I, I want to know, you see anything wrong with Robin? Uh, because I, I trust you guys enough to let you do it. I'm not listening to anybody else because I'm loyal to her. I think that's interesting, interesting he does say that because Sam and I, obviously, when we started at the beginning, I mean, we've been doing season 18, and then we went and started, and we've done the first three seasons, um, about to start the fourth season, and we keep saying that same thing, where we're like, we're waiting for Robin to be the villain, we're waiting for Robin to be this this person that everybody hates so far, and um, I know Cody doesn't care what our opinion is yet, um, <laughs> but, you know, three seasons in, Cody, I would agree with you, I don't think Robin's the villain yet. Yeah, At least. I mean, I, I'm holding it out, but we'll right. See. Well, and there's still a lot of seasons between the third season and the 18th season, right? So we understand there's a lot in between that that we still have yet to see. But I'm intrigued to see that moment where we see Robin and we say villain, yeah, bad guy, right? <laughs> because yeah, to this point, and a lot of comments we've seen have talked about how well you know, we've learned more from so-and-so that she was doing this, that, and the other that wasn't on the show. We've heard these types of comments where, okay, I mean, we'll take your word for it, but we're just basing... Speaking to the show. Yeah, speaking to the show and what we saw, what we're seeing, what we're reacting to, even in season 18 so far, I have yet to see Robin really come across as the bad guy. No, emotional, sure, but not... Very emotional, yes. not, Not the bad guy. Yes. Nothing that nothing that makes me scream, oh, she's trying to hurt the family in any way. I think maybe it's easy to pin her as the bad guy because as soon as she came on the show and became into the family, it seemed to the family seemed to slowly fall apart, right, over the seasons. But we haven't seen that falling apart happening. Well, I guess we have seen a little bit of issues. I don't think it would have mattered if it was Robin or if it was anybody else. I think a fourth wife coming in after the first three wives have been together for 15 years and starting to start a fresh family with fresh babies with other women that cannot have children, that is where I see all of the problems coming from. I don't think it it wouldn't matter if it was Robin. It wouldn't matter if it was any other person. You had a fourth wife in that dynamic at that time period of life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just... 
Yeah, it's bound to happen. Yeah. Bound, bound to have a lot of issues. But I think, well, and other people have mentioned this as well. I think it was Cody's reactions, Cody's behavior towards Robin and maybe giving more attention to Robin and her children that weren't even his biological children that really started to stir the pot. But like Cody even admitted here, and other wives have admitted, Robin always tried to convince Cody to work it out with the other wives. Stop stop giving me all the attention. Give some to them. Go to them. Help, you know, fix that relationship. Mm-hmm. And Cody just didn't have a desire to do that. Yeah. So, so far we agree with you, Cody. It's probably the only thing we'll agree with you on. <laughs> uh, she is loyal to me. But um, it's simple as that. Sorry, for the long answer, to just make it short, I'll put it in a nutshell now. Loyal, right, again. Uh, we were backing each other, and now we're not. And now it's just a big trash talk. He did this, this, and this, and this. He changed. He did whatever. Sure, I changed. Yeah, uh, a, lot, a lot has happened. And so I said, the fool blames everybody else, and the wise man blames himself, and the stoic doesn't lay blame. I wish there was just more stoicism and just say, this is just the way it ended or the way it worked out. Would, would, you ever, blame, blame. would you ever take another? I'm going to ask. Uh, yeah. Would you ever take another? Spoiler, this one? Spoiler, That's it. No, nope, spoiler. spoiler never. I'm not talking about it. Okay. I'm not talking about it. That's a spoiler. All right. Maybe he gets married again. Maybe he doesn't. Oh, turn into, maybe. Maybe so everybody wants to know. 18 or 19. Yeah. Froggy went to court and he did right. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I'm being kind of piggish. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's all right. No, I appreciate it. I'm not ready to discuss that here because. Totally. Uh, it's it's that's something like i'm giving to them. what if that's a spoiler alert because he could easily just have been like oh no that's not something i'm interested in if that's a spoiler alert that means that possibly him and robin are looking for another wife because that why else would that be a spoiler alert so you're thinking oh my gosh well robin kept saying that it would be a deal breaker for her if he was not if he was not a polygamist polygamist so does does robin sign us up for another few seasons does robin know that he thinks it's just the natural man that wants more women that now and now he doesn't believe that is religious well and how are they going to get fresh women into a relationship are they going to find women that are religious or are they just finding women who just want to live we're we're guessing here we have no idea if he gets another wife or not but but why would he say it's a spoiler alert Maybe he tries and ha- has an attempt in the show and it doesn't work out. Who knows? We're looking forward to see what happens there. TLC. Yeah, I don't totally understand Well, that. say something for us. So as far as Joseph Smith goes, there's <laughs> ambivalence about Section 132 extend to the First Vision. Yeah, yeah, same story. I wasn't there. I can't say it didn't happen. Um, I love the story. Dang it. It's really cool. It's inspiring. But maybe, maybe it That's really happened no. and maybe he's just not as interesting as J.R.R. Tolkien, but has a very similar story. Wow. I can't tell you. And Whoa. Okay. Wow. That is a very um, cynical and I'd say on the verge of an anti Mormon statement to make because the idea, oh man, people who are against Joseph Smith being a prophet and his first vision actually happening will refer to it as something like, well, if Tolkien come up, can come up with his stories that he has in The Lord of the Rings, then why couldn't Joseph Smith? come up with the Book of Mormon or the stories that he has, right? Um, it just takes someone with an imagination. With yeah. an imagination. So that is a big slap about Joseph Smith there because um, that's very yeah. major anti-Mormon rhetoric right there. Yeah, I don't know that he even realizes how much of a negative towards Joseph Smith comment that was. I don't know if he if he meant it that way. Oh, or... he'd have to mean it that way. How I, is... I, you couldn't mean it any other way. Yeah, I would hope so, but he just definitely just said 100% no I don't believe that the vision happened yeah say that this is not very invested I know it's not fair for me to do that but I'm going through my life holding on to things that were special when I was young and I still pray to a heavenly father 
And some people are going to think that's BS. I don't care about the criticism because there is either a God or right here, I am God. And I'm a pretty crappy God right here. But um, Neville, was it Neville? Neville, uh, Neville Goddard? Or, there was this philosopher who said all the scriptures were all about the soul of mankind and that, you know, your upper, your, your, your frontal lobe was the God part of the thinking mind that, that allowed you to say, um, to do benevolent and wonderful things and to create in your mind things that you would actually manifest in life. So somewhere along the line, I'm a real believer, but it's really hard to say what the truth is when you weren't there. We live by faith. Well, I, I can't tell you. I've never met the Messiah, the Savior either, but I'm still going to pray in his name because I just don't know any other way than to move forward with um, a Father in Heaven and Jesus. Dang. It's interesting to see, again, just once again, his spirituality and basically on the verge of atheism, right? If he says, I am God, like there's a possibility I'm God right. instead of there being one. But I don't know any other way than to pray to Heavenly Father in Jesus' Jesus's name. So, right. so he definitely still prays to, you know, something out there in the universe. So I don't know that he's quite at the point of atheism, maybe closer to theism, where yeah. where he's not sure what it is at this point, but he's still reaching out to something out there. But to claim that it's possibly yourself, that's and pretty... That uh, is on the verge. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, interesting. Well, trust me, meeting the Savior is a great experience. <laughs> also, there are some people... <laughs> are you Have you ever seen your second anointing? You're calling I'm sorry, me? I've been instructed I cannot talk about my most sacred experiences, Mr. Reed. <laughs> An angel with a drawn sword was over your head. And how many wives are you going to have now? See, there are some the people, cults. by the way, who would say that if there is a God that actually exists, he's a pretty crappy God. I'll, I'll be fair here that the cults always seem to have some guy who thinks uh, that he needs more than one wife. But nature says that too. So I'm not going to oh criticize it. Him and the I, nature uh, thing. I to ask, so <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of religious polygamy. I'm not a fan of, because I think when you say, hey, here's the plan of salvation. Here's how you get back to heaven. And it requires that polygamy happens. Seems like the choice is out. Yeah, it takes and it, the choice. Yeah, and it becomes almost exactly. always patriarchy, and it almost always has uh, trauma being ready to be given to the women, namely, but also the men, but the women, namely. Um, yeah, so, so this is one of the places where I kind of doubt. If you went to a bunch of men in a priesthood meeting or something and said, hey, boys, we need all of you to have three wives. You, all, some of these guys, because they're Christian disposition, is going to go, no, rent and rave, uh, horror, terror, this is terrible. And then you have half the guys go, sign me up. You have to browbeat a woman into believing that, I think. Unless yeah. she's looking at this guy that she's digging on, and she's like, yeah, he's already married, but I'd like to marry him too. And that's called hypergamy. So you have Joseph Smith, who's basically in the time, 1840. He's a freaking rock star. He's loved by many, and he's hated by some. Okay? But he's a rock star, man. Where he goes, people are just, women are fainting, these kind of things. Mike Benlong goes, goes long eyelashes. I have no idea. So when he dies, <laughs> and there's rumors of polygamy, oh, yeah, you got about a bunch of 14-year-olds going to raise their hand and say, you know, because 14-year-olds, I was a 14-year-old once, and I had all these girlfriends that I wanted to like me who were digging on Scott Bayo. You know what I'm saying? Or whoever <laughs> the heart job was. You know? I mean, they're, they're, they're like, I was nothing. I was chump. I like these 14-year-old girls. They all liked some rock star. Okay? So you got these 14-year-old girls who are saying, I was married to Joseph Smith. And I'm like going, yeah, nobody's, nobody knows what the true story is here, okay? And that's where I'm at. It's like, uh... I don't know that it didn't happen. I don't know that it did. I got a lot of inspiration my whole life from the Book of Mormon. I literally think that it's genius. Boring, but genius. And this is why because there's so many factors in it, even in Joseph Smith's life, life. You know, you can go back, you can time it with, uh, uh, if you go to a Torah, a, a, a Jewish calendar, and you can find Joseph Smith's uh, birthday is literally, uh, of 1805, is literally the, the, the day where um, rabbinical, not rabbinical, but um, Hasidic Jews, I, I'm not really sure, would light the candle on the menorah, the, the seventh candle, the seventh heavenly messenger's birthday was on uh, January, or I'm sorry, December, or December 23rd of 1805. I'm so like, you're saying that um, they were celebrating Hanukkah then? Yes. 
Okay, he is going so many different places right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, oh the, my gosh. the amount of like philosophy and different names and things he's trying to pull into all the all of this is and is funny I, and interesting. I, I do apologize that we are watching this on one and a half speed because Cody normally talks a little slow for <laughs> for us. So some of these might sound like he's going a little bit um, fast that way too, but. Oh my gosh, all this stuff about Joseph Smith and that the 14-year-old girls were somehow saying after Joseph Smith died, oh, I was married to him because they wished that they could have been married to him. Mm. There is too much stuff that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints themselves, there is too much documentation about the way that he practiced polygamy. And there is documentation of the way that he threatened some of the people that he ended up marrying and their families and their eternal salvation. And this is something that I did a lot of research on. And I know that there are different theories of whether or not Joseph Smith ever practiced polygamy. I think that the mainstream Mormon church has nothing to gain by sharing and stating the facts that Joseph Smith practiced polygamy. Right. They have nothing to gain, everything to lose. They constantly are in a battle about it because he had underage brides. That does not make them look good. So when that church itself is having to come out and say, yes, there is evidence that he did have underage wives, that he was married to multiple women, and they are giving that evidence, I just don't see why they would do that unless there's enough historical data to have that be the truth. Like Cody says, obviously, no one knows exactly what happened. There are journals, there are things, and nothing that I have seen would make me for a second believe that 14-year-old girls are trying to brag up the fact that they had been married to the prophet. There was nothing that would make that seem... What do they have to gain from that? Like, I just... I don't know. Again, and it's going with this pompous belief of like, okay, he women are just fawning over him in the sense... And animalistically... <laughs> You know, everybody wants that, and so somehow it just happens. I don't know. I just don't agree with Cody. I just guess I want to make that clear. Mm, yeah, it's it's tough. You're right. I mean, there, there's a lot of there there there's a lot of people out there that have theories about Joseph Smith and whether or not he practiced polygamy in the FLDS Church. Uh, we were taught a lot about the polygamy that Joseph Smith practiced because you know it was something that we continued to practice and the reason that we continued to practice it was because joseph smith restored it to this earth under god's direction and so in the flds we were very proud of his marriages and his different things so we would read from journals from all sorts of different sources that we had documents of in our homes about joseph smith's other wives and and the stories that they had about marrying him and, and all of these things. And it was meant to be a very positive spiritual thing, at least for us, right? Because yeah. polygamy wasn't looked at as a negative thing. So, you know, and I don't know to, to Cody's point. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but if if you're taught that you need to be married to a worthy spiritual man in order to return and live with God... Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that might claim that they were married to him just because that was something they fantasized of. I mean, there were people that claimed that they married Elvis, right? So <laughs> just, just saying, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it never happened. Maybe there were a couple women out there or young girls that were just writing stuff down in, in their fantasy mind and world about it. But I guess I'm just saying I, I can't say yay or nay for sure. All I can say is that in the FLDS church, there was a lot of documents 
a lot of uh, things written down about these other girls that were married and some of them weren't all, always positive it wasn't a girl saying wasn't a girl saying hey i'm married joseph smith yay some of it was very negative that uh, you know it was very hard for her it was very difficult but she felt that she had to because of the religious aspect and this is mm-hmm. what she was being required to do and so and 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 it was brought on as though these were some trials we had to endure but we did it because of our faithfulness so Ultimately, they are writing it down to kind of share that, you know, life was hard, but I, I stood my ground and I did what I was supposed to do for the church. So anyways, it wasn't always rainbows and sunshine, girls fantasizing over the idea of it. Yeah. There were a, a lot of heartache. Year old, yeah, 14-year-old girls, I just think Cody's full of it. But maybe 14-year-old girls did come out afterward and say, I was also married to Joseph Smith because they had to do it in secret because even back then it was not okay. Right. Right. So maybe there were people coming out after Joseph Smith died saying I was also his wife. I can see that happening. I doubt that it was in a good light. And the idea that it was because of people fawning over him, I find very hard to believe. But, you know, if someone wants to send me more information on that theory, I'd love to see it. Yeah. They were lighting the candles of Hanukkah. And, and uh, Hanukkah, it's, it's actually Hanukkah is... is and now and Joseph Smith is the seventh messenger. Is what it is. <laughs> they have the seven candles, and they represent the seven angelic eras. And the last candle gets lit on Joseph Smith's birthday. Coincidence? I don't know. There's, there, and his, <laughs> his whole life um, has these kind of weird coinky dinks. And it's like, it used to be very faith-promoting for me. <laughs> and I'm like going, but guy was a rock star, and he liked other men's wives. Or is that true? I don't know. So I wasn't there. I don't know. And anymore, I, I had so much inspiration from the Book of Mormon. Uh, and the Doctrine and Covenants and things that just worked for me. Was it plagiarized? I don't know. I've, I've, I've listened to, you know, I've been on, what's the other podcast, your competition that's, we don't need to get on? We don't. Jungle in, yeah. And um, frankly, one of my best friends from high school was his fishing <laughs> companion. <laughs> oh, really? Dish, dish. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, his, this friend of mine has nothing but good to say about Jungle in. So um, I, I don't know. I, I'm. It, it's not fair for me to not invest in where you guys um, are following here. But I'm not. I'm not ready to throw baby out or bathwater out. I, I'm. I'm not willing to be subject to the whims of some man. And if I roll that back, like I'm not. I'm not going to follow my prophet. Hell no. I ain't following the Mormon prophet either. Hell no. Is that my rebellious nature? Probably. But if I roll that back, there's only one church leader too. Ezra Taft Benson in the Mormon Church and our prophet in my church, Owen Allred, were my two favorite prophets. Owen Allred never claimed to be one. He was just the head of our church. Mm. If I keep rolling that back criticizing like i would never be subject to what these guys were subjecting their people to i wouldn't have been willing with this attitude that i've got now to have been subject to Brigham young or to joseph smith so i wouldn't have lasted long in the church ever yeah I, so but i'm not saying it was wrong the the i didn't get the question i want to i want to say this question again because um i was saying i'm against religious polygamy i think it's always unhealthy when you pressure people into relationships and their salvations on the line that said there is plenty of polygamy out in the world and i don't have any problem with multiple women or multiple men uh, getting together with a, a woman or man and deciding they want to cohabitate and have a group relationship. That, that's none of my business. But I do want to ask you, for anybody out there who thinks about polygamy, they want to do that. Again, not the religious stuff, but just polygamy in general. Any advice you have for people entering a polygamous relationship? Like, um, Because there is a subgroup of people who look for or do that. And I'm just curious, if, knowing all the experience that you have, if you, would, if you would have any advice for someone having that sort of a relationship, or would you say, like, don't do it, it's just it's not going to go well generally? I'll quote some, I think it's Chinese scripture. Sun Tzu. Here we go again. Know yourself, know your spouse. If you don't know each other, <laughs> you're screwed. Yeah. So know, know what you're getting into. And that's yeah. very difficult, but you've got to know what you're getting into. Yeah. I, I'm not going to disparage plural marriage. Um, my experience was challenging in it and rewarding in it. 
Um, so I, I just, I'm not going to sit here and just, I want to disparage it because I want to blame plural marriage for my failures, not me for my failures, but it is what happened. And there are successful polygamists who go to their grave with a family or wives that love them. I struggle to believe that there's a lot of real deep happiness in plural marriage. But let's, let's, let's move wider, Bill. Um, no, I'm not a fan of a religion that says this is required of you or you'll whatever you, you don't get to heaven or however it is. I'm bothered by that because I think that men were going, yeah, sign me up. Whereas the women were being told that they wouldn't make it if they didn't do it. That's not fair. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I will say in plural marriage where people are cho- choosing to be in it and they're wise about how they do it, then maybe it's a blessing to them because there are those places where a woman's like, I love my husband and I love my best friend. And her best friend says, I love that woman's husband and that polygyny or not polygyny that uh, I forgot the word again. Sorry, boys. Polyandry. No. Um, oh, a hypergamy. Hi- hypergamy. Yeah, hypergamy. That, that's going to happen. Go. You, you get a guy who's <laughs> um, high performance, great guy, treats his wife like a queen. There are going to be other women who want to be treated by that guy that way. And I kind of feel like that's how my family came together. Um, at least a little bit where I had a couple of wives that came in the family saying, I like what's going on here. I want to be part of it. Yeah. I, uh, I want to ask a couple of questions here about your religious faith. And you seem to have indicated that you aren't convinced that Joseph Smith was married to girls, you know, underage, under the age of 18. Let's, let's just say um, I catch the vomit in the back of my throat. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that he didn't or that he did, but I think he did. Yeah. And, let's and I let's a, do that. I got a problem. I got yeah, a problem. totally. That's, what, that's the question I want to ask. So let's assume for a moment that he did. And I think the evidence is... Again, I know there's a subgroup of people who would fight up against this uh, this conclusion, and, and they've got their reasons and their data points and their quotes that they use. But far and wide, the overwhelming evidence is that Joseph Smith not only practiced polygamy, but that he practiced, practiced polyandry, which RFM mentioned, which is marrying the wives of other men, but also that he had numerous wives who were girls, underage girls, under the age of 18. Um, and let's just assume for a moment that's true. So a, uh, a friend of our program, a follower of our program, said, you know, ask, ask Cody this question. And so I'm just going to read it. He said, he said, I appreciate that you are not hiding, concealing, and lying about your polygamy the way Joseph Smith did. Nor are you taking child brides or marrying other guys' wives as he did. But having learned the controversial aspects of Joseph Smith's polygamy, how do you view Joseph Smith at that point, at this point, knowing those data points are most likely true? Um, I don't like being a Mormon apologist. And it's it really requires sort of a spiritual rejection and an embracing of only the intellectual to say he was basically self-aggrandizing or to, to i have to actually say it looks like self-aggrandizement now i have friends mormon apologists who say joseph restored the gospel and he brought the book of mormon forth and then fell like king david fell for the women and um women being hypergamous joseph smith was the coolest guy in town they were probably throwing themselves at him and okay I'm not saying that it was justified no, no no i'm not saying that i'm just saying they were easy prey and if he was being a predator that's pretty sick Thanks and the judgment that. lies, yeah, the judgment <laughs> lies on whether. I was literally going to say that same thing that Radio Free Mormon just said. I was going to say, thank you for clarifying right. that. And I guess maybe we should have watched a little bit further before we made our comments before about that. Like, not that that justified it, but that they were easy prey. Easy prey. In that well, sense. Well, one of the stories is, uh, let's see, a housekeeper, no, a babysitter. Fanny Elgar. Yes, was one of the stories. So, you know, it seems to be women that were nearby or close that were like he mentioned here to kind of make sense were like he said easy prey had you heard the theory that um he somehow fell that that he did bring forth the book of mormon and then he was a fallen prophet because the interesting thing about that is if you believe that that he fell clear back then 
it's hard for any of Mormonism to stand. Well, truth. because according to his own teachings, Joseph Smith's own teachings, if a prophet falls, that God will not let him. Well, I guess the theory could be then that's why God allowed him to be killed. Killed at that point. I don't know, but it, that's tough. There, there's a lot of stories out there about Joseph Smith trying to sell the copyright of the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith doing this and that and the other that would kind of go along the lines of, yes, he brought forth, brought forth this great work and then fell for such and felt for money or for the girls or things like that. There are, I don't know if they're 100% factual, but there's a lot of stories out there that would point towards that. But then you got to think that then the rest of Mormonism, every... Every break off of Mormonism, pretty much from there, except for the RLDS who followed Emma Smith and Joseph's children. Mm. Um, aside from them, though, every branch of Mormonism within Utah really then stems upon Brigham Young. Yep. If you think that Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet and then Brigham Young took up that mantle, and that opens up the world to a whole other slew of problems because... Yeah. Um, Brigham Young the things, was so controversial. The so, things Brigham Young said. So I don't I, know which is better for the LDS Church <laughs> to have Joseph Smith as a leading founder or to say he was a fallen prophet and Brigham Young was the leading founder. Growing up mainstream Mormon, I was definitely taught that Joseph Smith was the leading founder and oh, that yes. Brigham Young was the next prophet. So there was never any idea of like him being a fallen prophet mm. at any point. No. Revered, praise to the man who communed with Jehovah. Um, Jesus anointed him prophet and seer. So it was very much, he was very revered, um, very sacred topic. Oh, yes. They don't worship Joseph Smith, which some people claim they do. But the mainstream LDS church, they worship Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father. And they revere but him. But they revere him and they put him on a very high pedestal of this really, really perfect, righteous person um, that... That, yeah, that brought the whole church and uh, Jesus Christ's teachings back to the earth and restored them. So that's kind of the idea. So very important. And no, I never heard at all that he was a fallen prophet. Yeah, never. me neither. So. There's some way that maybe God ordained it in, in the sense that, hey, you know, um, you know, in Ireland, at the same time, in Ireland, you get some 30-year-old rich guy who couldn't get his own woman. Uh, yeah, her parents would give her to him and say, yeah, marry him. But... Joseph Smith was doing this stuff if he was doing this stuff. He was doing it in secret, uh, nefariously. And when I see a 14-year-old girl, I see a child. Maybe sometimes they have the woman's body, but they're a child. And I'm like, as a dad, it's like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doubling down on this. Just listen to what I'm saying. If the wrong dad had that happen, when I said the wrong dad, I mean, maybe the right dad. He's got a rifle at Carthage Jail. Okay? And he's looking to shoot somebody. Okay? Oh. He didn't have the faith. He didn't have the revelation. He didn't have God tell him that his daughter was supposed to marry this guy. And there were plenty of guys. Um, Rustone Rowling talks about this, where William Law's son was dating a girl or trying to chase a girl or was interested in a girl, got his heart broke because Joseph Smith stepped in front of him and took that girl to be his wife. Yeah, I mean, it's, now, not, it's not only that, that those acts happened. It's, it's that the history indicates that Joseph used a lot of heavy-handedness, manipulation, grooming techniques, spiritual threats, time yeah. restraints on how quick people had to make decisions. And it looks like the way that predators in the modern moment groom and prey on children. It's pretty creepy stuff. I'll be really honest with you. It's creepy. And um, I don't want to sit here and invest in it because I wasn't there and I don't know for sure. The history indicates, but I know for a fact that history lies. And so um, I'm a conspiracy theorist. So um, I don't believe the <laughs> histories that I read sometimes. 
and you've got me from years of indoctrination about this, so I'm not willing to throw it out. But the, all indicates, uh, listen, I'll give you guys the win on this. If I was in, a, in an argument, I, I can't support it. And it's left me in a place where the last time I actually tried to read the Book of Mormon, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't read it. Yeah. And what I'm, so what I'm saying is I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to avoid your question. Yeah. I don't want to invest in the answer yeah. because it deletes. If where you're going, Bill, is to say Joseph Smith was a fraud and a crook, it deletes so much of my past. And what I want to say is just like that bad marriage that ended, I'm still glad it happened because all the fruit that I got from it with my children and my experience. So I'm not saying that Joseph Smith wasn't a crook. <laughs> if you want to say he was, I'll say, well, he might've been, <laughs> you know, that's where I'm at is it's like, I delete my past and I invalidate the faith of my dearest friends when I agree with you. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be mealy mouthed here. Mm -hmm. I'm saying for me to invest in, in what you're saying is truth is detrimental to my psyche in some ways. And maybe the time comes where I finally just go, what a joke. And I'm, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm that close to it, but I'm, I don't want to do it here publicly. Maybe. Yeah. Totally get it. Totally understand. Um, hmm. I, I wanted to ask you. Yeah, that's, it's a lot. That, um, but it's so true that the, like if, if Joseph Smith did these awful things, then people are going to wonder, okay, well, he's the one that brought forth the book of Mormon. Yikes. The Book of Mormon is the keystone of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yikes. If this isn't true, this isn't true, and that's not true, and this isn't true, and that's not true, what was I doing for the past 40 years? Yeah. Right? So there's this, there's this aspect that I totally agree with, that if you allow yourself to invest in some of these questions, that it just, everything else crumbles. And that's why it's so hard to leave a belief system that you were a part of your whole life. Yeah, absolutely. It's tough. Uh, and RFM, jump in if you've got anything. I'm, I'm happy to... Okay, I was going to ask you. Please. I mean, I think you summed it up really well in what you said at the end there, Cody, but why is it that you're having trouble reading the Book of Mormon? If you're like me, you've read it like 20 times plus in the course of your life. It's like Donnie Osmond said, it's his favorite book. I felt the same way about the Book of Mormon for decades, yeah. and I pretty much know it still backward and forward. Why would that be difficult for you to read? That's the first part of the compound question. And the second part is, do you have the same problem reading the Bible? And if not, why not? Bible uh, contextually is a literary work um, common in the entire world, most, most of the entire world. Um, same kind of stories go along with the Book of Mormon, a little less creepy stuff, but maybe, I'm sorry, I take that back. What I meant to say was um, similar, there, there's a lot of people who um, spend a lot of time discrediting the Bible. But what I love about it is it still tells a story and a history, and the stories, whether true or not, are stories with moral value in the end. The Book of Mormon is the same way, but I'm, I struggle with it for exactly what Bill was just discussing with me. Um, the Book of Mormon is, is, is like Leviticus. <laughs> it's so much of it is so boring, <laughs> you know. And uh, and it, like you said, read it many, many, many times. Book of Mormon, the Bible gave me a real history in my faith, um, kind of like a building block. But my real connection to God, and, and prayer came from more almost new age type of books um, where people would teach mantras about how to manifest or teach mantras about connecting with God. Um, Joseph Smith said that the Book of Mormon was the most perfect book and by people living by its principles. And most of its principles are pretty decent, but I... Including its principles about monogamy? Got from the stories that I've heard for the past 15 years about Joseph Smith have really made it really hard for me to read the Book of Mormon. And and, and I, I don't believe that Joseph Smith restored the church and... and uh, and translate the Book of Mormon only to fall to polygamy. I'm not sure that 
everything about what his experience was wasn't a fraud. And I, I just don't know because I wasn't there, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, it's almost like, uh, listen, it won't matter if I put the blinder up on this one um, because it doesn't. Well, I guess if if, if you're if you're a Mormon, you're going to think that it has everything to do with my eternal faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is what Christianity and even Mormon purport, not faith in Joseph Smith or even faith in the Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon's design was to be a second witness to Jesus Christ. And if maybe I just don't need the witness, I just found it very difficult to read again. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. It kind of goes along with what we were just saying about if you're having struggles with Joseph Smith, it's like one domino. It's like a game of Jenga, right? If you pull out certain pieces, mm. it's hard to pull out any more pieces without the whole structure falling. Right. And I know that even when Sam and I were in our faith journey, you know, reading certain things would get harder. Um, even we started the Old Testament together yeah. again, and we were in the middle of our faith crisis within the Mormon church. And we started reading the Bible from beginning and we made it like 10 or 11 chapters in. And it was just too hard because there was so much other doctrine going on in our mind within Mormonism, within the Book of Mormon, within Doctrine and Covenants, that it was almost like we couldn't process new thoughts in new, in different scripture while we were handling all these other things. So it's so complex when you have um, faith transition. Obviously, Cody's still in the thick of a faith transition and being open to um, new ideas and new principles. So it's it doesn't surprise me at all that no. it would be hard for him to read oh, the Book yeah. of Mormon. Yeah. No, it's, it's tough. It is. And like you said, it's true. A lot of it is rather boring. There's some really long books. Speaking of the books in the Book of Mormon, you hinted at the fact that the Book of Mormon teaches monogamy. It does. Can you expand on that? Isn't it in the Book of Jacob where they uh -huh. specifically talk about um, the importance of monogamy and how monogamy is the only law and principle that God yeah. allows? Yeah, God, God <laughs> so. condemns, condemns multiple uh, wives or concubines. Yep, and very so, clearly. So it's so interesting. Yeah, but once again, that's a passage of scripture that the mainstream LDS church uses as, hey, see, it says here we're not supposed to live uh, polygamy. But then people ask, well, what about Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff? What about the, the beginning leaders of the church and their polygamy? And anyway, so it really, the, what they would say is it comes down to timing. The Lord provide. The Lord says, "This is what I require at this time." Later dates, things are changed depending on the situation and what is going on during that time. So that's kind of what it would come down to. Yeah. Um, there are several fundamentalist groups out there that do polygamy. Um, I gotta, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts, having lived it, having having you know gotten the teachings on polygamy, having understood why you know why in your system God commanded it. Again, there's a, a whole host of breakoffs of Mormonism that do it. Um, I'm curious what what your thoughts are on what fundamentalist Mormonism could do to better ensure healthier, happier polygamous families. Because I would like it to end. I'd like all these groups to just stop it. But the reality is they're going to be doing polygamy forever. So that's not really an option. But what maybe is an option is to convince the leaders of these systems that the way they do things is really unhealthy and maybe there's a better way to do it. I'm curious if just from your experience, if you have any thoughts on how these systems could better operate in the, that doctrine. These systems are all empowering the men at the top. It's a bunch of BS. It's about them having power and control over their people. So they're signing marriages. And in order to keep their daughters virgins, they want them to marry when they're young. And um, th they have a whole philosophy that I struggle with because it's control and power. And it's not the freedom of choice that people actually need. Um, and there's pressure. I don't know how you unwind that. I, I think that 
let me start with this because I'm confused on how I would answer it. But let me start with this. There came a point in my life when none of my wives wished any of our daughters into plural marriage. Mm. We basically came to a point as a family, kind of not even discussing it, just all of us kind of came to this point where we were like, I don't want to, I don't want my daughter entering into plural marriage. <laughs> that, that's a tell. So let's go back to this question. You've got, how, how could they correct their, the mess they're in? Well, moving to the century. What's the average marrying age now? Stop trying to marry people off when they're 19 and 20. Amen. Yeah, make it 25, you know, like, 30 before someone can make that kind of decision. Well, they're looking for babies and you have a yeah. window. Okay, Easy so, to manipulate. Yeah. Yes, yeah, like, okay, listen. Now, here's the interesting thing in the church, and you can check these statistics, but these are statistics somebody told me. When plural marriage was accepted and normal in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the average woman would have five children. After that, for many years, into the 60s and 70s, I think the average woman had eight children. Eight children. I, I think it was a lot easier on those women to have five, you know? And so what does a government want so they can print more money, more population? What does a church want so they can get more tithing? More population. So they're perpetuating because, you know, a birthing window for most women is, you know, like, let's let them at least be adults. So we got 20 to 40. You got 20 years. They're trying to, uh, warm bodies are not machines that can only make money. A famous song, favorite band of mine live. Well, Good women are not machines that can only make babies. Yeah. And in these cultures, their dispositions are minimized. Now, I love motherhood. I love women who want to have children, and I've had a lot of children. And but, and I'll be honest with you, if I would have married in monogamy, I would have wanted to have eight or 10 kids with one woman. And the average in my family is less than five per wife. Um, not necessarily by choice. It would have been, the average would have ended up probably being uh, would have probably been, but I had two wives who chose to end at six and they didn't feel any pressure to have any more after that. Um, so these churches need tithing. They need people, they need, um, brains to brainwash, you know, and it, if, and so none of them would listen to me. I'm the failed polygamist who yeah. put egg all over their face yeah. now. Um, but my advice would be to let them have a happy life. So one, allow them to choose who they marry, both men and women. Cause in some of the sex, the women get to choose who they marry and the men don't. Other sex, you know, like the men get to stack them up and depending on if you're kissing the behind of the prophet enough, you're going to end up with a lot of wives. Ridiculous. Yeah. Figure number that works. You know, like what is it? The Quran will only allow five wives or is it three? I don't, I don't even know. But holy cow, you know, 10, 12 wives? Give me a break. Is that a life for a woman to have? I mean, I had four wives and, and it was hard for them. I think my wives would have been, you know, if my family would have been smaller, it would have been maybe easier. But the more wives you have, the, the more likely your failure rate. Um, and that's just statistically out of my own church. They say, um, you know, once you, once you get more than three wives, you, you, the, the ratio of failure exponentially higher. Um, and, uh, so, but I have people I know who are still successful in plural marriage, um, even with more wives, you know, with five or more wives. Yeah. So I, I like me, it's all about choice and yeah. it's really like back off with the pressure. Don't make plural marriage the end all be all, but I think that's coming from the man. You know, you go into a church that, that allows more than one wife, it invites a certain kind of guy very possibly. I'm not really sure, but see, it was my mom who bore her testimony of plural marriage to me and read me section 132 when I was 14 that maybe go, yeah, I'm going to live plural marriage. It was easy for me to sign up though. I was a guy. She didn't have to pound that into my head. I, I bought with one testimony. That's interesting that he points out that his mom told him at age 14 when he was eight, when he was 14, because that was a question we had is did, did his parents convert or learn about this? when he was on his mission, which at that point he would have been 19 years old, most likely mm-hmm. 1920, or was it before that, that they started having these questions and, and all of that? And obviously if he was 14 years old, it was long before his mission that his parents started looking in 
to the polygamous idea. So mm -hmm. that answers the question. So I just thought I'd point that out. Yeah. And a 14 year old guy to boot. Yeah. And, well, I believe, you know, I, I believe what I was reading, you know, yeah. and I believe my mother, interesting that it was my mother uh, perpetuating plural marriage, but, um, and she was a real believer all, all the days of her life, you know? So uh, I, but these sex, okay, choice. Let, let a little, get some college degree. You know, if you want people who are gonna be successful in plural marriage, give them a chance to leave the culture. Um, because, you know, like let them go to college and get a degree and figure out a way to support themselves. If a guy has four wives, you better have really, really smart wives who are industrious and educated. Otherwise he's gonna be just squalor and poverty. It's, it's, a, it's a tough place. And, uh, but it's hard for me to believe that it's not really about the self-aggrandizement of leaders in all of these sects. They, they, they're, they're worn out. These leaders are worn out. They're tired. They're sort of sick of it, but yet they, and I don't think they believe it. None of them get revelation. Come on, liar. Yeah. You know, they're, they're at best they're inspired. And, uh, but I, but see, that's my criticisms coming from a place where I've been so far removed from it. I don't even know. I don't, um, I just don't believe their BS. You tell me that God's telling you something for me. No, 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 no. God will tell me. I'll, I'll go talk to him. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't so need I, an intermediary. I'm right I, here. I if you want to speak I don't to me. want, I'll allow if, if the, if, if it's true and I'm still an if person, I've got faith, but I don't know because I've never met Jesus, but I'll let him be the intermediary, uh, intermediary because I believe in that. But I'm not going to let Joseph Smith be my intermediary. What a yeah. messed up life. I'm not going to let uh, any of these other leaders do it either. And so it's like uh, the only way I think that these, these cultures are not going to survive without the forms of conviction that they are using. They're just not going to survive unless they're just pounded into their heads. And so that's what they're going to do. And by having that pounded into your head as a kid, you're just going to lose. You're, you're not, you're going to buy it because it's pounded into your head or you're kind of going to go, you know what? I'd like a normal life. Yeah, totally. But I don't know the answers because yeah. I've had uh, way too much experience to feel like I should be the one. Yeah. And totally. everybody, every man, woman, and adult child has to choose for themselves uh, um, what their path will be that they pursue. Yeah. Wow, that was so much information. I'm so grateful for all of you who sent this to us. Very, very interesting. Us getting to see Cody Brown talk about his religion, his previous religion, his faith now. Current beliefs, his yeah, current beliefs. very interesting. Um, and just a lot of talk about fundamental Mormonism in general, the differences in uh, LDS and, and the AUB, and even touching a little bit on those other polygamists <laughs> <clears throat> names we shall not name <laughs> <laughs> like the flds yeah <laughs> um so yeah. very good if you guys want to see us react to more clips like this please leave in the comments below things that you want us to react to um we love opportunities to react to things like this yes thank you all so much for recommending this very interesting stuff that uh wow yeah a whole new side of cody that you don't normally hear so Thank you so much for recommending it. Thank you for being with us today. If you, do it, if you did enjoy this today, please don't forget to like and subscribe. And we look forward to talking with you soon. Talk to y'all later.